Ladies and gentlemen, we, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Hey, Nicholas Cruz, remember when the AP reported that uh, Nicholas Cruz, the school shooter in in um, Florida, remember when they reported that he was on White Nationalist? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was from the Never ADL. mind. Never mind. Whoops. That came out last week. Okay, Dan Calabrese reported AP admits a story that Florida shooter was part of the White National or White Supremacist uh, group. Was false. Finally, see, never mind. Okay, what was weird about that is the white supremacist leader was also leading the efforts to try to convince people that he was part of that group. Well, yeah, and it was after the AP published its initial story uh, parroting this idiot's claims. Police immediately came out and said there was no evidence that it was true. By the way, video is coming. Hang on, don't worry. Hold on. We'll be back in a minute on video. Yeah. And you'll have to refresh your stream for those of you waiting for the video. I don't know if we had a, a glitch or a crash here or whatnot, but it is it's coming. coming. And as always, Eric's on top of it. That's right. But, but, but hold on. AAP, after AP published its initial story parroting this idiot's claim, police immediately came out and said, Wait, well, there's no evidence to, to, that's true. And by that time, other journalists were invested in the narrative and started retweeting the AP's initial tweet, pub, uh, published or pushing the story. This is according to Dan Calabrese, written a, a great piece, by the way, who writes, I had interaction with one of the mainstream media journalists on Facebook who had retweeted the original AP story, his response to the police statement saying, no, no, it's not true. There's no evidence that it was true that this uh, police shooter was tied in with white supremacist group. Uh, he said that uh, his response to the police statement was the white supremacist connection could still be true. And he cited the facts that Newsmax and Breitbart jumped on the police statement as a rationale to, I guess, do the opposite. In other words, yeah, uh, truth doesn't matter to the mainstream media. It turns out that Nicholas Cruz was not a member of the white supremacist group, despite the mainstream media's desperate wish that he was. Dan Calabrese, I wish I would have said this. Who couldn't see this coming, he writes. Uh, under what other circumstance would the mainstream media take some white supremacist douchewad, and I quote, at his word, and not back off even after the local police came out and, uh, and, and discounted his claims. When authorities cast doubt on the claim uh, that the media, that they didn't want to believe, of course, they immediately declared it debunked and never gave it credence again. See, but the, but this one they really, really wanted to believe because it would afforded their desired narrative that the right-wing uh, white racists are the source of all evil in America. And, and and so even though the source was clearly dubious, they ran with what they wished for. Oh, I wish it to be true. I wish it to be true. I wish it to be true. Gee, what a stunner. This writes Dan Calvary's remember the next time establishment media like the AP sneer at the alternative media as fake news. 
for lacking credibility, for lacking uh, fact-checking, or, or whatever. All the fact-checkers in the world are worthless if you really don't want to find out what the truth is. Well said, well, well written, well stated, Dan Calabrese. By the way, the House Republicans launch phase two of the, of the Trump dossier probe. American Center for Law and Justice files lawsuits against deep state over Clinton investigation in Uranium One. All right. It's on. It's on. And in my morning show, I, I talked about the Russia indictments, 37 pages, 13 individuals, three entities. You know what was missing? In that, oh, so much. Well, I'll tell you what exactly what was missing. Any charge, fifty-two U.S.C. three zero one two one. That's the uh, electioneering election tampering uh, statute. Any, any, and I go into this in detail this morning. Well, what I mean, yeah, I don't mean to jump in and interrupt, but why even? Why even? uh, You know, nothing's missing from this investigation. This investigation is what should be missing. It's a political witch hunt based on lies, built upon corruption and fraud. From the DNC, Hillary Clinton, Fusion GPS, Christopher Steele, and on and on and on. If there is any special investigation, it should be into those people and their actions. There is nothing this year and a half long investigation into collusion or whatever it is with Russia and this, the latest, uh, 13 <coughs> indictments. 13 is uh, proof individuals, of that. three entities. All they, had, all they did was create social media accounts and promote political candidates or disparage political political candidates, even getting CNN and MSNBC and Michael Moore to participate in anti-Trump <laughs> rallies. Yep. There, it, it's so infuriating to even have to continue to talk about this. How Robert Mueller is la- not laughed out of Washington, D.C., how there is not a real special counsel appointed to involve or to look into it's the Hillary coming. Clinton crimes and the crimes of the FBI and DOJ, it's and how coming. these people are still working in the FBI are, is beyond me. You are listening to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is Tuesday, February 20th, 2018, and that's just the start of it. We've got a great show lined up for you tonight. Stan Dale will not be with us tonight in place. Paul Begley will be joining us. And, of course, at the bottom of this hour, we have Dr. Jerome Corsi coming on, and the second hour, James Corbett from the Corbett Report. So you're going to want to stay exactly where you're at and listen to all of the show. But you're right, uh, but the... House Republicans, the uh, House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence launching Phase 2 of the Donald Trump dossier probe. Now, the House Intelligence Committee threatens to subpoena top officials in the dirty dossier investigation. This is coming. Plus, next month, don't forget, we have the Office of the Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, his report coming out, and it's going to be, in my view, go time. But with respect to the Russian indictments, I just want to mention this because I did go through this in detail this morning on my show this morning. Uh, and by the way, two shows, 9 to 10, Doug Hagman radio show. That's on Global Star and BTR, Blog Talk Radio, and then 2 to 3, John and Joe on Global Star and BTR as well. But, uh, okay, so you've got 13 indictments uh, of individuals, three of entities connected to Russia. You've got no violations of uh, 52 U.S.C. Section 30121. You've got three uh, separate issues, three separate crimes. You've got violations of identity fraud, uh, wire and bank fraud, respect, uh, respectively, and then, of course, the, uh, uh, well, just basically general fraud, conspiracy to commit fraud. But missing from the indictments, as stated, 52 U.S.C. 30121. And that means that no collusion, no impact on. So, so if, if it, but anyway, so listen to that. Um, 
And remember, you can argue with your, your aunts and uncles and your obstinate neighbors and stuff when they say, well, the, the indictments show that there's Russian collusion. No, they don't. There's no collusion at all in this. They don't show anything. No. The, all, the only thing there is, is is process crimes. And even furthering that, and this dates back to information about Ukraine in 2012. No, no, these nothing... aren't process crimes. The, the, these are actual indictments. The, oh, you're talking about the, the, yeah, the, the, Russian... the what the charges were today right. with lying to the FBI. Oh, yeah. that's The foreign nationals, as we said, if you want to be technical, as many people have been pointing this out, the Christopher Steele was a foreign national trying to influence presidential election. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, all the people that were involved in this. But, no, we don't see, you know, they have to make make up stuff and, and reach. And it, it's infuriating to have to sit here and play this game and pretend that this investigation is legitimate and uh, listen to the news media who, who promotes this stuff as, as though it's real and factual and important and relevant. When in reality they're just covering up for their own crimes, it, and know, I can't wait till Corsi comes on to talk. Yeah, about I, I, I'm, I'm anxious for him to come on as well. Um, it, it, this is going to continue. The, the Nunes is, is uh, Devin Nunes is in the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence is, is coming through for us. Why are people retiring it, from the committees? Well, from the House, from the, the that's well, wasn't there a fourth four people who are from the House Intelligence Committee who are stepping down? As their capacity as an elected official, um, I'll, I'll get the numbers. Yeah, check that okay. Out. You've got you got multiple committees. Um, you've got numerous investigations as well. But okay, well, okay, we're, we're yeah. Um, interesting is interesting. But look, uh, you've got again um, with Mueller, the uh, Judicial Watch had to sue. And is in the process of suing the Office of the Independent Counsel for information about their budget. Mm-hmm. And it should be public. The Sessions Justice Department, of course, said, well, we don't have to give that to you. That's, that's one thing. And of course, the, they, they filed a FOIA request and of course, then nothing happened. And of course, the, uh, they, they claimed national security interests for the budget, which is just ridiculous. And now, of course, Judicial Watch is suing for the actual numbers. I put it at about a half a half a million dollars a month. But you've got 14 rabid anti-Donald Trump, anti-Constitution, anti-liberty, um, in my view as well, uh, individuals on this, uh, on, on the Office of the Independent Counsel. And consider the fact, Sidney Powell wrote a great article, in, or Sidney Powell wrote a great book, actually, Licensed to Lie. She's a former federal prosecutor working out of Dallas now. Uh, I believe out of Dallas, but uh, Licensed to Lie is a great, great book. But she explains Andrew Weissman, the pit bull, Mueller's pit bull, how he withheld exculpatory evidence in, in the uh, Arthur Anderson investigation, of course, and the Enron investigation ruined a lot of people's lives. You don't know the half of it. Malicious See, prosecutions yeah, yeah, and abuses yeah. of powers. Yep. yep. Um, the, all the, there's a, the articles you referenced on Drudge Report, and uh, we didn't go over the cases today on The Daily Show, but we did talk about this. And is this part of what we're seeing with General Flynn and him possibly yes. uh, removing yes. from his guilty plea from the... Uh, of lying to the FBI from the changing of the 302s, McCabe changing Strauch's 302 notes with General Flynn, and now what was the the Judge Sullivan issued a Brady order? Right, Judge Emmett Sullivan. That's uh, right. Mueller and the the government turn over all documents and information related to Flynn and his case. By the way, the very same thing that Weissman did, you could almost, uh, it did back in the Enron days, and, and Arthur Anderson, in his prosecutorial zeal to put someone behind bars and to put a notch on his on his uh, uh, 
cabinet was is really the same thing that's happening. And you're right. You mentioned the Brady rule. Uh, it's it's ridiculous at its face. By the way, going back to the indictments, the reason the, there was no, there, there was no uh, filing of the 52 USC 10 uh, 321 is really simple because if you charge someone with that, for example, Christopher Steele, that links back to per, uh, Fusion GPS, which links back to Perkins Coie, which links back to the DNC, which links directly to Hillary Clinton, and there you've got the Russian collusion and the election tampering. It's really simple, folks. Steel, it's plain and simple. Steel dossier. Steel fusion GPS. Bruce Nelly Orr, Bruce Orr in the Justice Department. Nelly, his wife, Glenn Simpson, hmm? and two others. A journalist from the Wall Street Journal. Fusion GPS. Perkins Coie, law firm. Hey, ties to Obama. Ties to Hillary Clinton in terms of support as well as representation. DNC, fully fully subsidized by who? By Hillary Clinton and the she Clinton campaign. The His own there's crimes your, there's your collusion. That's right. There's your collusion. So the bottom line here, what we are witnessing, as I said today, and I'm going to keep saying over and over and over again, number one, Mueller is not a white hat. The Mueller investigation is a witch hunt. Mm-hmm. It is it is a deep state move to take over the United States of America, our nation, to bring down our nation. Built on a lie, carried out by lies and propaganda and deception based on nothing, covering up even the financial elements of the investigation when they're supposed to be public. And here we are, a year after the election. It's still front and center in the news. It's still The news media is still talking about this as though Trump has provably done something wrong and the charade continues. Meanwhile, all the crimes that were committed that are full and public knowledge right now with the evidence and information out there now those don't worry about those you know don't 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 look at those uh no no criminal activity here no special counsel needed here all the way from the Hillary Clinton the handling of the Hillary Clinton email investigation what are they accusing some of these lawyers of uh, that they charge today the the other process crimes lying to the FBI about information in 2012 in Ukraine destroying emails deleting emails what did Hillary Clinton and and her whole team do I, I Once they know, were some destroyed emails, blackberries right? and computers and deleted emails and you know bleach bit wiped it with a cloth, not one charge. She wasn't even found guilty, even though she provingly broke the law in her handling of classified information. But we're supposed to. This is why I don't think the American public's going to buy anything that Mueller ever concludes or tries to present to the American people. I don't even think the majority of Americans care about the Russian indictments or even see this as anything remotely um, in line with what he set out to do. Well, and when will he have his court pulled? When will he have his court pulled? Trump should fire him. I know it's not politically popular, (laughs) but if I were Trump, I would get rid of everybody. The FBI, the DOJ, Robert Mueller, probably half my staff. Um, At at this point, what difference does it make? They're turning his presidency into a joke. And if he thinks he can manage it, I, I think he's done pretty well in the oh, face he has. of the. Oh, he has. Uh, in, in the face of. But why? Face why? Uh, why placate these people? Why not just drop the hammer? I, I totally agree with you on that. But we're we're going to see what we're seeing right now, and you've got to understand when when a an agency like the FBI and the D- Department of Justice gets taken over and weaponized by a candidate or a political party, that being the DNC, including but not limited to Hillary Clinton and Barack Hussein Obama. That's what we're seeing. That's what we saw. 
and you've got Loretta Lynch acquiescing and basically shining Bill Clinton's shoes, um, and Hillary Clinton, and the stuff going on there. You've got Comey. You've got Mueller, who expunged all of the anti uh, or the the terrorist, I should say, the terrorist information from the the the, the uh, training manuals of the FBI, going back to 2001. You've got collusion by by Mueller in Uranium One. You've got collusion with the State Department as well. Uranium One. The uh, by the way, this is this is an area where the ACLJ, Jay Sekulow's organization, is suing for information over Clinton investigation in Uranium One. The ACLJ filed lawsuits against the Department of State, the Department of Justice, the FBI, the U.S. Treasury over the sham Hillary Clinton investigation and the Uranium One scandal. This is I'm going to be talking in depth about this tomorrow. By the way, just to just to pump that and but but the lawsuits are over the agencies failing to comply with the Freedom of Information Act requirements. Gee whiz. Don't give me any crap, by the way, okay, you know, about the FOIA request. The information that we get at the end, the distilled end, is what they want us to get. You've got to sue in court. We've seen this over and over and over and over and over again. And it's amazing to see. Amazing to see what's taking place. The, the the allegations against our president, the allegations against the alternative members of the alternative media, the allegations against us. We are not Russian agents. For the love of God and everything that is good and holy, what in the hell do you people think, the, the, the people who are behind these accusations, who are saying, well, we, look, the bottom line is this. We have had Russian and foreign uh, influence meddling in the United States since at least 2014 in earnest. Who was president? Who was in charge of the executive branch? Who was in charge of the Department of Justice and the FBI at that time? Not it was a political elections. operation under Obama. Not to mention all the elections and governments he overthrown has overthrown personally. Not to mention the other elections in Kenya and in Israel where he directly intervened and sent U.S. personnel to intervene in those elections trying to influence the elections. So they can't say, and I like what Trump did today on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it. He threw out one of Obama's <laughs> I old I lines. <laughs> and let me, um, let me pull it up here because it is, it is a pretty good one. But what he did was basically take something Obama said right before the election saying how no uh, American election has ever been hacked or, or influenced by yeah, anybody. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a great line. You know, I really think uh, Donald Trump and, and his staff, whoever sends out the tweet messages, I think they're, they're brilliant. I think they, they, they're... <laughs> I got so it. There's yeah. a level of brilliance there. Man, they are playing the media. They are playing yeah. the... Oh, it's just, it's just, it's just a, like, like a... This is what Trump harp. put ahead. out about 6.30 this morning. He says, there is no serious person out there who who would suggest somehow that you could even rig America's elections. There's no evidence that this has happened in the past or that it will happen this time. So I'd invite Mr. Trump to stop whining and make his case to go. get votes. There you go. That was President Obama's quote just before the election. That's because he thought crooked Hillary was going to win, and he didn't want to rock the boat. When I easily won the Electoral College, the whole game changed, and the Russian excuse became the narrative of the Dems. Perfect trolling of the former president. It, it, again, it, brilliance in its simplicity under, what, 240 characters, brilliance in its simplicity. By the way, I did mention the House Republicans about the, uh, the Trump dossier probe. 
the uh, House Intelligence Committee threatens to subpoena the top officials. I, I mentioned that. Not, uh, I've got to tell you this. That this They are not playing around. This Phase 2, remember Devin Nunes came out yeah. and said Phase 1 and Phase 2 and then more. And in this Phase 2, which, which is coinciding with the OIG's report, pay attention to this. Really, because we are at the most critical juncture in American history. Pay attention to what's going on here. Nunes is launching Phase 2, and they said that the Nunes sent a letter to unnamed high former Obama officials saying, you're going to provide us with answers to the questions we have, or we're going to subpoena you. That's what, okay, so that's what they're saying. Hey, Adam Schiff, okay, uh, he's, Adam Schiff is in a fetal position somewhere. Sucking his thumb, or maybe sucking McCain's thumb. I'm not sure. Maybe there's a chain suck thumb thing going on there. I you don't know. know. All this, as I said, is so frustrating to have to sit here and explain and go through every night looking to see that the criminals who committed the crimes are the ones trying to tell us that, uh, you know, they have evidence of Trump committing crimes, even though none of that's been coming forward. We don't even have an original crime for why the special prosecutor Robert Mueller was, was, uh, called an investigation was started and usually you have an underlining crime that gets the investigation going and this whole thing's been backwards and upside down yeah this is an investigation looking for a crime and it and it's even gone beyond the scope of what it was intended to now switching gears another infuriating story in the news and i want to make sure we cover this in the first segment these people these kids these students who allegedly were victims of this school shooting yes are being paraded around the yep. country put yep. on tv one in particular a kid named david hog hog yeah hog okay they've uncovered his posts on reddit he was an intern with cnn his father's a former fbi agent he's running around you know tearing up donald All trump scripted. verbally promoting for uh, an abolition of the second amendment all these people, all these kids are, are now getting political donations, uh, starting movements like this, uh, the, the March for Life or Right to March for Life. They're being paraded around. They're holding, uh, you know, town halls and, uh, it's, it's unbelievable to see the media shoving these kids' opinion on gun control down everybody's throat. We understand that the violence that happened, the school shooting is a terrible thing. But you don't turn the children who can't vote, who aren't even old enough, into political pawns to run around and tout your efforts for gun control. We know the UN wants to ban guns. We know the insane liberal left wants to ban guns. Islam wants us to ban our guns. All these people want us to ban our guns. And all the media has done for the last year and a half, two years, is tell us how horrible we are and how everybody hates us, that being Christian, conservative, Trump supporters. And you want us to turn in our guns. And then you use kids and parade them around. Kids who I'm not even sure some of them are kids. I don't know if you have people who are, you know, college uh, and, and CNN interns among them. And it, it is making very little sense at this point how politicized and how the, the I mean, are these kids going to have time to finish and graduate their high school with all these media events and, and uh, you know, basically running on the campaign trail for the Democrats' twenty-seven mid, mid, uh, 2018 midterm elections. I don't know. Show up and talk. Where's Show your, up and talk to CNN. How's where, that? Where's, where are the people going to get time to get their grief counseling, and are they even mourning? Well, I mean, to see some of these pictures of, of even the night after the, the night the shooting happened where all these people are with reporters smiling and laughing and the behind-the-scenes stuff, this kid, you know, uh, basically, what would you call it? learning his lines or getting his lines right, being coached, 
there's so much wrong with the coverage of this aftermath of the school shooting. And I know I didn't do a good job of articulating it, but when these kids are being used or allowing themselves to be used as political footballs to disparage the president, it's the same mindset, the same agenda that the insane liberal media has. And that is anti-gun, anti-constitution, anti-Donald Trump, and anti-Donald Trump supporter. Anti-American in general. Now they, they found a way to promote their agenda, but by using, you know, innocent kids as their mouthpieces, as so you can't really criticize them because they're victims of this horrific event and they're only standing up for morality and what's right. They're so innocent. Doesn't seem that they're that innocent. I know that sounds harsh, but I've been watching this stuff closely and there's something much worse going on here with these kids. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, look, it's all being scripted. This is an anti-gun agenda. Of course, you cannot have guns in, in, in a, um, we're not, we, we can't, we can't. Hey, why do we need an AR-15 to go hunting? We don't need AR-15s to hunt. <laughs> we don't need AK-47s to hunt. See, and of course, we're going to show you the death machines that are the auto or semi-automatic weapons, these big bat assault rifles. Do you notice all of the words that are wrong in that and all the phrases wrong in those statements? Mm-hmm. All right. The, 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 the fall, uh, fallacious argument. Well, you, you know, you, you don't need them for hunting. And now well, we have, okay. um, it's not the second amendment has nothing. You, you go back to the constitution. Bottom line. No, and, and now they're starting to say, well, you know, when the founders wrote this, they only had flintlocks. <laughs> and and that's, that's all we had was footlocks. So, um, yeah, we forget okay. the cannonballs and everything else that that wow. was part of the arms back then. There was no restrictions, and now we see a number of states. And uh, Trump is saying ban uh, have the DOJ ban bump stocks. Certain states are uh. implementing legislation to ban possessions of uh, magazines larger than X amount of rounds. Maryland is one of those. They're banning the possession of a magazine larger than ten rounds, and we're oh, seeing. Boy. There's an interesting bill, too, that came out in the House today, H.R. 4918. You're going to love this. It is uh, authorized to dedicate domestic terrorism uh, offices within the Department of Homeland Security. What they say is that Congress finds the following. White supremacists and other right-wing extremists are the most significant domestic terrorist threat facing the United States. And then it goes through a, a thing here. But we can talk about this on the other side. Obviously, this will never become law. But what laws are on the on the table with gun control and assault weapons and assault weapons bans. We'll talk about that when we have more time. When we come back, Jerome Corsi will be our guest for the next segment. This is over. But what President Trump did is he assigned it to the Department of Homeland Security. And their findings are startling uh, that while there was no Russian collusion of any magnitude that made any impact on the election whatsoever, uh, the 
U.S. actors and some foreign actors, it says, were involved in getting several million illegal immigrants to vote in 2016, uh, and that legitimately cast ballots were either disregarded or not counted properly intentionally so as to skew the results of the election in a way that damaged the democracy, basically our fundamental voting system. Now, this is Democratic Party voting fraud, and it's been going on for a long time. Now, if in fact the the study was only done in 22 counties, and what the Department of Homeland Security is saying is it mandates a study nationwide, I mean, I think President Trump is going to pull off here a fundamental change of the narrative, which is that no evidence of Russian collusion, abundant evidence of democratic, systematic, and massive voter fraud that explains why the Democrats have been so insistent on DACA and getting illegal immigrants into the United States. They've evidently the Democrats abandoned African Americans. There aren't enough of them. They wanted a army of illegal immigrants to do the voting for the Democratic Party. And if the narrative is no Russian collusion, but massive Democratic Party fraud, suddenly the tables are changed and the the Democrats who thought they were hunting Donald Trump to impeach him now suddenly become the hunted and there's going to be a lot of Democratic Party officials facing criminal investigations as to their perpetuation of this voter fraud. Okay, and that was a great summary, by the way. Um, All right. So we're seeing kind of the the uh, the warm turn here with respect to the the investigations. Donald Trump is fully apparently fully in charge of this, and we're seeing uh, incremental releases that you're analyzing in real time on these other forums um, published and, and released by by this uh, QAnon by by QAnon. So this is what you're seeing right now. That's what you're. That's yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yes, I think that QAnon is is. is very much on top of what's going on. It is a military intelligence source. I think there's several working in the Q personality entity uh, together. But the information is valid. The information has proved to be consistently correct and uh, and advanced information correct. I mean, it's not not every perfect. Not everything happens in intelligence exactly the way you think it's going to happen. But that doesn't mean the intelligence was wrong. Here, what certainly looks like is the Q is giving us a preview of what the Department of Homeland Security report looks like, as if he was actually, here's a page of the conclusions, this is what the conclusions are going to be. And that's what I would expect. I mean, I'm sure it's right because the Democrats did not participate in this presidential commission on voting fraud. They thought they could just, you know, stiff arm it and it would go away. But now with the actual investigation, uh, you're going to find what I've known to be the case. Well, anybody, you know, John Fund, I'll give a shout out to uh, a great investigative journalist who's been publishing this for years of massive Democratic voter fraud, uh, enough to swing elections. And, uh, what the advance word we're getting from QAnon is at least three state elections, three state Senate elections may have been tipped by the Democrats and, and swung to the Democrats by the uh, a massive amount of voting fraud that was enough to tip the, the election in the Democrats' favor, where otherwise they would have lost. And if there were several million illegal immigrants who were voting, it's conceivable Hillary did not even win the popular vote. 
And I believe that's true. for the illegals. Right. And Dr. Chris, I absolutely believe that tr- that's true when we see the lack of enthusiasm and, uh, in her campaign, just from the events she attempted to have versus that of Trump. It, it was, you know, a 10 to 20 to 1 easily. I don't believe she got anywhere near that. But let me ask you this. We have seen so many examples of blatant criminal activities come to light since the Hillary Clinton email probe all the way till you know, the, the Nunez memo, the, the dossier, and what we see with the FBI and the Justice Department. What makes us think that this is going to be different as far as the uh, law enforcement acting on this and actually seeing uh, justice served in these cases? Well, I think the fundamental answer is we've got a different sheriff in town right now. And um, this is a sheriff who um, I've known over the years. Donald Trump doesn't hesitate to use his six guns to get the bad guys. Now, this is a fundamentally different game. Now, Trump is very, very smart, very cagey, very really a genius, I, I think, and in my estimation, how Trump conducts himself, that he um, withstood the initial attack. The Democrats did everything they could through Mueller, special prosecutor, mainstream media lying, intelligence agency, CIA interference, uh, to, first of all, swing the election against Trump, and secondly, create a basis for impeachment after Trump won the election, to their great dismay, and Trump succeeded. I mean, it, Mueller has nothing. Mueller had anything he'd bring it forward. I mean, the 13 Russian trolls posting on Internet post with got retweeted 175 times, a thousand times. You know, that's compared to millions and millions of posts and you know, 60 to 80 million people involved in the election. This was a drop of water in the ocean, this Russian collusion. But now, <clears throat> when you see what's going on in Congress, how it's being organized with Grassley and Graham working together, uh, and Nunes especially, Goodlatte will come on uh, but they're basically, they've established that this Fusion GPS document was a opposition research document, and it was used inappropriately for the FISA court approval of electronic surveillance. Now, that's a massive issue, and I, it may even uh, be enough to get General Flynn's case thrown out of court. Uh, we also know massive FBI and D, Department of Justice improprieties. We see that through the... Strozik and Page emails and, and text messages such that they were changing the FBI interviews, were rewriting their interviews to, I guess, exonerate Hillary and uh, probably build this Russian case against Trump. Another factor which may lead to both Manafort's case and Rick Gates as well as Flynn's case all being thrown out of court uh, on um, the Fourth Amendment violations and violations of Procedure by what's going to end up being crooked cops, including Mueller and Weissman, cover-up artists. Uh, I, th- I think the t- table is going to change. I think you're going to see this, even this week the calls starting now for a new special prosecutor and to put an end to Mueller's witch hunt. If Mueller has nothing more than what's already been shown, if these are all his cards on the table, you know, if, they, if, if this is the best he can do on collusion. When Rosenstein has to announce the indictment, say there was no collusion, uh, these didn't affect the election. I mean, where were the Russian hordes who were out here, you know, swinging our election uh, in Donald Trump's favor? I, 
<clears throat> it's, it's an absolutely pathetic and ridiculous argument. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. I want to ask you this about Hillary Clinton, and of course, um, look, we've got so many uh, perpetrators out there, and of course, you had uh, in your latest article that the Democratic uh, election tampering, great information. But what about those who who are behind this? Are we going to see justice for anyone, um, whether it be Hillary Clinton or some of the lesser players, including but not limited to Lynch and and, and even Comey, perhaps, and, and others down the line? Uh, I'm confident we will. Uh, I think the American people, there's enough American, Americans now who are awakened, uh, to the issue. And, you know, I'm, I'm on working almost daily with this, um, calm before the stream underscore, or calm before the storm underscore stream. It's at CBTS underscore stream and really working to analyze, decode what QAnon is saying, to look at the events. And uh, we're going to be watched by thousands and thousands of people. I mean, these are really uh, taking off. There's millions of people now involved in the entire QAnon phenomenon and following it. And there's millions of people following the news who realize that uh, Hillary was a criminal uh, and Bill, not only with the foundation, but, uh, I mean, let's face it, Hillary lost a rigged election. <laughs> True. I mean... <laughs> they 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 didn't steal enough votes for her to win. They thought they did. <laughs> they stole millions. They stole millions, but it wasn't enough. And she was such a lousy candidate; she couldn't win a rigged election. No wonder they were shocked on election night. They thought they had it in the bag. Oh uh, my! Uh, pass me that box of Chardonnay and and sharpen up that that uh, lady Bick for me, will you please? Yeah, uh, yeah that's pretty bad, right? When when that happens, all right, all right. you're gonna be a pretty lousy candidate to lose a rigged election. Oh man! You know they yeah. they created the Russian illusion. You know they they lied about that, and they uh, had all the mainstream media against Donald Trump, and you know the intelligence agencies working against Donald Trump. They were conducting massive voter fraud, and Hillary still lost. I mean, it's, uh, it's pathetic. And Donald Trump, I'm sure, won in a huge landslide, which has not yet been fully reflected. But when this is all the story is finally written, uh, I think you're going to find uh, we'll probably need military tribunals to sort this out. I think some of the charges are going to ultimately be treason, and um, the basis is there. For the unmasking and the leaking of the, I mean, I, I, I'm confident uh, it was not only uh, the electronic surveillance of Donald Trump's campaign, but that it extended through the transition. We know that, yep. Because Admiral Rogers came over and warned Trump that he was still under electronic surveillance during the right after the election, about November 18th. Yep. And it looks like the court orders, <clears throat> the, the FISA court was approving. Electronic surveillance at least through June 2017, maybe even later. That was six months into the White House for Donald Trump. You see, we're having the NSA under electronic surveillance on this lying fusion dossier. Uh, when the American people realize this, I think there's going to be massive consequences, and they will not stop until they reach the Oval Office of Barack Obama. And, and yeah. we can't wait for that. Dr. Jerome Corsi, Killing the Deep State is the new title of, or the title of his new book coming out here within a couple of weeks. Order that, pre-order that, uh, uh, but get in line for that. It's a, it's, it's a phenomenal read, 256 pages, Killing the Deep State, the fight to save President Trump. Um, okay, uh, the Title I versus, uh, FISA, uh, surveillance and the woods, um, 
oh my goodness, the Woods Act, but uh, uh, a lot of violations against Donald Trump and um, the, the collusion by the by the deep state to surveil him, and, and of course, you know, we're all involved too in this. I, I, I truly believe this, the surveillance is on you and uh, on Hannity and others. Um, I think that it's pretty well it's pretty well verified. Well, I mean, not only that, I mean, the IRS went back to about my grade school, you know, see if I had paid my taxes when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> now they, they, they basically, uh, went through 20, 25, 30 year examination of my taxes when I wrote Unfit for Command with John O'Neill. And the, you know, the massive, uh, punishment from the Democrats having weaponized and politicized the IRS, the Department of Justice, the FBI, I mean, it was also pretty shocking. The FBI uh, could not take this real, you know, specific intelligence on the shooter in Florida and do anything about it. They were too busy looking for Russian collusion, which doesn't exist. Uh, the turnaround on this, when we go into the fact that Mueller covered up the Russian bribery scheme in Uranium One, and that when we get into that Uranium One was sending uranium probably to Iran and North Korea, that we, you know, Obama sent plane loads full of cash and euros and other currency, foreign currency to Iran. Well, Iran could use the banking system, but North Korea couldn't. So how much of that currency got shipped over to North Korea so North Korea can continue to function? How much of it supplied terrorists? We know it showed up in you know, Hezbollah and other terrorist organizations funded by Iran. Uh, it was violation of the sanctions. There's no authorization to have sent those plane loads of cash and uh, the massive surveillance of the U.S. population. I think in the final analysis, you're going to see Assange vindicated. You're going to see Snowden vindicated. Uh, Dennis Montgomery, the other um, whistleblowers, Binney, who have been alerting the American public to the massive illegal electronic surveillance. And then Google, Eric Schmidt funded this. Eric Schmidt you know, funded even the involvement of a crowdsource who was the first to say Russian, uh, Russians hacked the DNC, which we know was not the case, from studying the metadata. Uh, and, and here you get Eric Schmidt, who, you know, was funding Hillary and funding through Hillary the GPS fusion document with uh, Perkins Coy. Uh, you get Eric Schmidt, uh, me, uh, Eric Schmidt from Google, who was supplying the Google information to the NSA and PRISM so they could take every conversation in America and uh, have a psychological profile of everybody speaking based on the Google clicks and data. I mean, Google was created by the NSA. Now, this is all going to come out, and this is, I think, going to be a massive impact on Google censoring, Twitter censoring, YouTube, and all the rest of them censoring out conservatives and libertarians. Before this is done, it's, I think, not only going to involve treason charges against Hillary and Obama together in a plot to deny a legitimate election to Donald Trump, uh, but it's going to involve massive revelations of our completely out of control uh, intelligence agencies, the electronic surveillance they're conducting on the population, uh, the weaponizing of the IRS, the weaponizing of the Department of Justice, I mean, Mueller's job seems to me to be to protect Democrats. He's still doing it. Yeah, I, I certainly don't don't uh, 
Uh, you look at Mueller, and he, you know he won't even um, they won't even say how much that investigation is costing. Uh, Judicial Watch is suing for that information. Uh, it's ridiculous. By the way, you do an analysis on a daily basis um, in real time, correct? Uh, it's on. It's on. Uh, Yes, I mean, if you take a look at my YouTube channel, which is uh, JRL, my initials, J-R-L-C-O-R-S-I, J-R-L-C-O-R-S-I, I'm, uh, in real time, I'm, I've been working with the uh, this Discord group, the, the Calm Before the Storm, right. at Calm CBTS underscore stream, and for uh, 45 minutes to a couple of hours a day, we're looking at the Q posts as they are dropped, Trying to analyze them, and you can listen to us in real time. Try to figure them out. Is there a set time for that? No, but see, there. If you look at my website, uh, when I go on to the um, that board, the CBTS underscore stream, um, I I post it on Twitter so people can follow me. Okay. So I say I'm coming on to the board, and if you're following my Twitter feed, you'll see that I'm saying now I'm on the board, and then subsequently. Every day, uh, I'll post that it's now archived on the board. So if you go back to JRLCORSI, you can see all of the um, decodes that we've been doing in real time. And, and there, they, you know, sometimes those will take a while to listen to, but you really get an idea of the analytic process of how you have to take intelligence and sort out what's really being meant by it. And it's a process. So you can see all there are the different uh, videos I've got, which is which are some of them also live chats. I've started to do some live chats, right. some live stream on you on YouTube. I'm gonna try to do uh, some of those every day this week, maybe a, maybe at a fixed time. I'm thinking about like five o'clock. See how that works, and I uh, answer questions from people live stream, and then these um, archived. Ones from the decode sessions, I think are especially valuable because you really get the inside thinking of the group of anonymous who have been working on this for a considerable period of time. And the anonymous are very important. Uh, the, <clears throat> my job has been to, I think, try to make the QAnon phenomenon accessible to a wider range of people. So it's explained and we decode it. We, right. we try to make it Intelligible, so you see what's being said, and the information being given by these intelligence sources are quite deep, quite probing. Uh, they're going to lead to some really important dimensions of discovery, and I think the killing of the deep state is really the objective I have in mind, which means the CIA, the politicized, weaponized justice system that Obama created with the Clintons and George W. Bush did not clean up. Uh, the entire bureaucracy, which is all penetrated by the CIA, including the State Department, and the CIA's own criminality, running drugs, which has been doing worldwide at least since the Vietnam War, covering up its money laundering with HSBC, uh, so they get some big fines, but nobody goes to jail. You can't run the drug business without it running money laundering. I mean, I think the fundamental analysis of the deep state is that we are the Mexican drug cartel. We are the terrorists. We funded ISIS. Hillary Clinton and, you know, John McCain created ISIS. We shipped weapons illegally with Chris Stevens through Benghazi. 
uh, ending up in Turkey and then into Syria to arm ISIS and the rebels that supposedly were fighting Assad. That's right. Uh, you know, these are the kinds of crimes that the deep state commits and expects the public not to be aware of. Uh, MK Ultra, which set about a program to um, drug the population, which we've done with opiates, we've done with these psychiatric drugs, we're giving kids Ritalin in schools, and, you know, the the whole idea was to create drugs that would even create the behavioral problems. Uh, we've been looking at uh, Bill Cooper's book, Behold a Pale Horse, when 1991. Oh, yeah. He was predicting the school shootings would come out of the MKL Ultra program in order to get the population to demand uh, gun control. The only solution to these school shootings is to harden the targets, put guards at the entrances. You know, I mean, they put... You know, that's how concealed carry among the teachers. You get a, you get a target that's hardened. Very much, very much like Israel has done in the past. Very much like Israel. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. Precisely. We, we've only got, I think about a minute and a half left, Dr. Jerome Corsi. Um, I'll tell you what, your analyses on, uh, in real time, very important. Uh, follow Dr. Jerome Corsi on Twitter. What's your Twitter, Twitter, uh, account? It's, uh, Jerome.Corsi. Okay. Okay. I'm pretty easy to find always if you search Corsi on any of these you'll find me uh, the Jerome.Corsi on Twitter J-R-L-C-O-R-S-I on uh, YouTube and Jerome Corsi on Facebook You're, it's all pretty easy to find Right. and the, the book will be out on uh, 13th of October I'm really looking forward to it and um, it certainly seems like the timing of it is going to be pretty good we should be I think at the very first stage is what I anticipate to be a robust Trump counterattack that's going to begin now. And we need it. Uh, Dr. Jerome Corsi, thank you so much for checking in, dropping in with us. Thank you for your gracious gift of time. We really appreciate it. all you, that you do in real time, Killing the Deep State, and, of course, your book, Killing the Deep State, uh, coming out in a couple of weeks. Appreciate it, my brother. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Dr. Jerome Corsi. Joe, what a great interview. What a great uh, lot of information yeah. passed along. Uh, right there so folks follow dr jerome corsi on twitter watch his videos on youtube check in with him on infowars but get knowledgeable about what's going on what a prophetic uh uh, uh man a very very important person in history dr jerome corsi killing the deep state and right back network break stay with us edition of the Hagman Report. James Corbett is going to be joining us in just a few moments, and we're going to talk about a number of interesting things with him as he'll be on with us for the hour. How many people saw this report on San Francisco and how it has turned into a city worse than many of the worst slums and cities in the world, worse than the slums in Brazil, in Kenya, as they found needles, trash, and feces all over littered across every city block the local NBC Bay Area investigative unit did a piece, it's been up on Hagman Report for two days, we have been meaning to talk about it on the Hagman Daily Show but we just haven't got to it how dirty is San Francisco? NBC Bay Area investigation reveals a dangerous mix of drugs, needles, garbage and feces throughout downtown San Francisco 
They surveyed 153 blocks of the city, more than a 20-mile stretch of popular tourist spots in the area, and found just this huge amount of human feces, drug paraphernalia such as hypodermic needles, and it is a huge problem. I was listening to, I don't know how many people listen to uh, Michael Savage, but I, I, it hooks you up with local or regional radio stations that uh, are popular when uh, or plugged in when people are listening to these shows. Like I listen to uh, Laura Ingram on TalkStream Live, and it's usually the Dallas feed. But when I listen to Savage, it's the San Francisco feed. And I'm not sure if you guys want to laugh. Listen to the San Francisco traffic report on any day of the week, and it is probably one of the most hilarious traffic reports you'll ever hear. You know, we have a truck throwing garbage on the, the streets of the 101 and on and on and on. Mattress, you know, shut down a three-lane highway. But it just, uh, it really shows how, I mean, what's the cause of this? Is this immigration? Is this liberal-type mentality that has taken over these cities and allowed these uh, these horrible uh behaviors to increase. We've seen stories in Colorado where they have changed the laws of defecating in public to protect people that they're bringing over from other countries. Where does this end? Anyway, I'm going to make sure that we spend at least five minutes and talk about this tomorrow on the Hagman Daily Show. But if you get a chance, go to Hagman Report and read the article, Downtown San Francisco, Site of Trash, Feces, and Drug Needles. It's an alarming report, and I think it's a, a good indicator of what can happen to this country if we allow uh, certain things to continue, certain behaviors to continue, and allow to go unchecked. Anyway, we have with us James Corbett. He's been living and working in Japan since 2004. He started the Corbett Report in 2007. Uh, he's a great guest. He, he talks about politics, society, economics, and history. He's written and recorded thousands of hours of audio and video for media uh, on his website, including a podcast and several regular online video series. We have James Corbett with us. James, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back on. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's it's great to have you. And I know we're going to be getting into some interesting topics tonight. Um, one of the things that we see in the wake of the Florida school shooting, as we were talking about in the, the first hour is how they've paraded these children around, and and these children have become part of this political movement to blame President Trump and ban guns. But this is just one indicator in a much larger uh, enemy media narrative where we've seen the media has become weaponized against the American people. And I know you're going to talk about ways that uh, a number of outlets from social media to the mainstream media narratives are created, and this is basically information warfare. This is psychological warfare at its finest. So just your initial thoughts, I'd like to, to ask you, what what do you make of these kids being paraded around touting gun control? They're, they're creating these marches and rallies all over the place. They're raising money. Apparently you can't criticize them because they're victims of this, uh, you know, horrible event that happened, but they're, they're getting very political, even though they're not even old enough to vote. What's going on with this? Well, that's right. You raised two very important points there, one of which is the politicization of, if not children, I mean, at least young adults, shall we say, who are not uh, in this, in uh, even able to vote, so certainly not able to be politically part of the system in that way, but they are being politicized, clearly, and their message is, 
is being politicized for certain partisan gains, and I think that is reprehensible um, uh, in and of itself. But then secondarily on top of it, I mean, we know 100% as a documented fact, it is a phenomenon that when the media gives attention to things like school shootings, that increases the possibility, the probability that there will be copycats in the future. So by even if we accept everything about this story, it's all at face value, you know, exactly what they say that happened, happened, then still making it into a media story like this in order to push a partisan agenda is actually encouraging more people to do so. And we know this from all sorts of different uh, phenomena, but specifically from suicides. The more you report on suicides, the more they will happen. And uh, the uh, German media back in uh, a couple of decades ago started uh, stopped reporting whatsoever on people committing suicide on uh, in subways or on trains, train tracks. And lo and behold, the number of people doing that plummeted. Uh, again, media gives this oxygen, so it's uh, it's doubly reprehensible that this sort of thing happens in the wake of every tragedy of any kind, whether you know real, fake, staged, or or you know miscellaneous other. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and 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 let's take this into uh, the larger picture of what we've seen with the media, especially. Really, I mean, we've seen this all, all along. But these people are really exposing themselves and showing their true colors since the arrival of Donald Trump and the, you know, the Trump movement in America, where we've just seen these networks go completely out of the realm of reality and common sense. They're, they're unhinged. They're, they're creating lies and running with those lies as though they're fact, even though they're provably wrong. And it's almost like they're self-destructing, but they never seem to die. Will there ever be a time when the mainstream media can self-destruct? Will the powers that be let them? How, do, how are they able to continue their fraud on the people? Uh, money. Funding. Lots and lots of funding. Yeah, certainly there's still lots of money sloshing around there for people who are willing to uh, per- make certain narratives that are uh, in line with what the people with that money want to do. And I think the obvious, um, the way that we can see this and the way that it's functioning right now is in the uh, the takeover of various media outlets by billionaires, perhaps the most obvious example in recent years being Bezos uh, buying out to the Washington Post. Bezos, of course, being the Amazon billionaire, but also having a $600 million contract with the CIA. So, I, I mean, I think we know what side the mainstream media's bread is buttered on, and this is how it functions in this day and age. So, I mean, I, I think it's quite exceptionally obvious at this point, to anyone paying attention, that the media, the mainstream media that we have grown up with, if you were of a certain age, I suppose, uh, in the pre-internet era, is is at this point just a transparently laughable farce. It is transparently obvious that this is all coming from an extremely uh, uh, biased viewpoint, um, which is the viewpoint of the owners of the media. It's and and of course their cronies and and uh, the people that they serve in various financial capacities in in other industries. So this is this is the way that it's been structured. And I think that's extremely obvious. <clears throat> what to me is more insidious, and what I'm working on right now is an examination of well, of course, okay, everyone. Everyone with their head screwed on straight sees this and knows transparently that the mainstream media is not doing its job as a watchdog and, you know, guardian of, of the republic or whatever. So 
the obvious thing is, well, okay, so everyone is, I mean, more and more people are turning online for their news now. That's not a secret. And uh, newspaper sales plummet, TV viewership plummets. So people are going online and they're discovering all these new ideas and they're on these social networks where people are spreading information that you don't get in the mainstream. So what is going to be the reaction of the same people who have been the guard, uh, the watchdogs, the uh, the gatekeepers of the the mainstream establishment narrative for generations? What are they going to do now? Are they just going to go, oh no, oh well, okay, well I guess you know the cat's out of the bag? No, of course not. They're going to influence what is happening online, and they are going to disrupt and and to try to take over and try to break apart any groups out there online that are doing research and trying to to, uh, basically thwart their narrative. And that is happening right now in the social media space, and that's what I'm working on for a report that I'm going to be releasing soon at Corbett Report. Well, that sounds uh, very interesting. I want to ask you, you know, let's talk about the social media. We've seen U.S. uh, congressmen and senators talk about these Russian bots who have been pushing for things like release the memo. Even Adam Schiff came out and talked about Russian bots uh, are promoting the Second Amendment, and I don't know where they get these notion of, of Russian bots. Is it just uh, is it the lies that have been compounded from the Russia collusion investigation, or do, is there some? I mean, what we saw with this Mueller indictment of thirteen, you know, Russian people who started fake social media accounts, it seems like nothing. It, it's not important to the grand scheme of the election and, and what happened and who won. That we see that there is no real. Uh, influence or collusion between Trump and Russia, but we have this narrative of Russian bots. Do you think there's a, a real, whether it's a, a real threat from Russia or even manipulated or manufactured by our own government, do you believe that there's a real Russian bot threat out there or is this just a lie being made up to it, it is fake news. It is fake news, and I can tell you exactly where it is coming from. There is an excellent article up on moonofalabama.org right now. Everyone should go read. It's called Russian Bots, How an Anti-Russian Lobby Creates Fake News. And it breaks down this latest uh, story that uh, CNN, Russian bots promote pro-gun messages after Florida school shooting. Wired, pro-gun Russian bots flood Twitter after Parkland shooting. New York Times, after Florida school shooting, Russian bot army pounced. And they are all citing the work, quote unquote, of this nebulous organization known the known as the Alliance for Securing Democracy, which in conjunction with the German Marshall Fund is a public policy research group in Washington. And it created a website that tracks hundreds of Twitter accounts of human users and suspected bots that they, the uh, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, have linked to a Russian influence campaign. What does that mean? Well, when you look at this site that they've created, it's called Hamilton 68, and it tracks 600 Twitter accounts that they say, they, they, they assert these are some way connected to the Russian influence campaign. They're not saying they're Russians. But they're saying that they are somehow part of this Russian influence campaign. And what criteria do they use to put these 600 accounts on this list? People who often tweet RT, stories that appear on Russia Today Mm -hmm. uh, and Sputnik News. Uh, Two, people who openly profess to be pro-Russian, whatever that means. (laughs) And three, accounts that appear to use automation to boost the same themes that the people in those first two groups are talking about. 
So that is their criteria for this list of 600 Twitter accounts that is the holy grail. This is the Russian bot. And so they, they track this and they say, uh, you know, this these hashtags are trending today amongst these 600 accounts. First of all, they don't tell you what accounts they're using. They don't let you see what accounts they're actually following because, you know, that would that would give independent researchers something to actually look at and see, does this make sense? Is this an accurate representation? What what accounts are they choosing? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they don't tell you specifically, you know, how many are bots, how many they believe are humans, how many they think are actually Russian, how many are just uh, tweeting, you know, RT or whatever. Um, all of that. So there's this whole shroud around it. But it it ends up in the absolute imbecility of things. Like on Christmas Day, what was the top trending hashtag amongst the Russian influence operation. Merry Christmas. Yeah. You know, so, wow, oh, my God, it's the Russians. I knew it. It was the Russians all along. Um, And it gets even stupider because uh, people might know of Elliot Higgins, who's a belling cat, um, uh, this couch blogger in the UK who's become this expert on chemical weapons in Syria, even though he has no training and background in it. Anyway, he uh, he promotes the, the, he toes the line when it comes to issues like that and as a result is heavily promoted and is in fact, I think now a, a fellow of the Atlantic Council, which is basically a NATO mouthpiece think tank and all of this. Um, well, he uh, Bellingcat, his his site's name, well, uh, ended up as one of the trending hashtags on this Hamilton 68 dashboard one day. Um, and as a result, the, you know, the the story is, oh, the Russian bots are attacking Bellingcat because he's going against the the narrative in the Ukraine or whatever. Um, and and so the the Bellingcat community and Elliot Higgins himself took a look at this and said, oh, okay, well, what's going on here? And so they looked at the hashtag, Bellingcat hashtag, that the Russian bots were promoting. Oh, it's the Russian bots, everyone. And they found that, uh, what was it? There were um, six uh, accounts, six people had used that hashtag on Twitter over the last 48 hours, and none of them appeared to be pro-Russian. So a grand total of six people using a hashtag that didn't even, even by Elliot Higgins' own standards, didn't appear to have anything to do with Russian influence, uh, made it to the top of the, the Hamilton 68 dashboard as a trending hashtag amongst <laughs> Russian bots. It's total, transparent, ludicrous nonsense of the uh, the most ridiculous order. But you will not read any of that in the New York Times or CNN or any of these other things. All you will read is the, oh, Russian bots are promoting this hashtag as told to us by this, you know, reputable think tank. And and it's just, I mean, it cannot get any stupider. And you almost wonder, you almost have to wonder at a certain point, okay, clearly this is the lowest rung of the propaganda ladder. Mm-hmm. This is meant for yeah. people who just do not have a critical thinking faculty in their two brain cells whatsoever. So... Clearly, this is, I mean, anyone who puts a shred of effort into this can see over top of this blatant propaganda. You have to wonder at a certain point, is this meant to start rounding people into categories of the people who will just swallow whatever they read? And then, oh, here we have some that can see, so we might have to create different traps for those people. I, I start to think that clearly, I mean, there is psychological research that goes on in the social media sphere and the U.S. military is behind it. That is documented, and I can talk about that if you'd like, but clearly they absolutely know, 1,000%, they know that people are not buying this propaganda in the way they used to, so I think they're creating new narratives for those people. 
And absolutely, I'd love to get into the way the governments and militaries are, are weaponizing information and using psychological warfare and other means of manipulation on its citizens. But I just want to throw out this this out there to finalize what your your point is. What's so different about this period that we are living in right now with the news, as you said, just so bad at trying to create lies and uh, make it seem legitimate. But there's another angle to this. It seems like people are thinking along their the political uh, leanings before they are using their common sense or critical thinking skills. It, it's become so partisan that you know you when you see uh, somebody who's on the left. They all agree on the same talking points. It's like they're reading from the same script. You know, gun con- uh, no, banning guns, yes. Abortion, yes. Pro-abortion, yes. And on and on and on. Until it seems like every last issue is in how people believe in these issues are dependent upon their political leanings. Now, I don't know if that's a, uh, a product of the age and environment we're in right now, or if this is how everything's become so partisan that now everything is divided along these political lines. But I don't even know if the... Uh, what people buy into the news today is based on fact or fiction. More instead, it seems to be based on what you hope would were to be true, based on your political leanings. So it's a very odd time to be um, in the news business, I guess, when we see this going on the way and how crazy it's gotten. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a good question as to the hyper partisanship and the 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 basically everyone at each other's throats constantly. How much of that is, has, is new? How much of it has been brought to us by these new technologies that are putting people into information echo chambers where they can be hyper-partisan and become radicalized, to use the term that the government loves to use? Uh, it is a, it is a genuinely good question. And I'm not sure I, I know for sure. I mean, first of all, I'm Canadian, so I only have my, my, my experience growing up in Canada to draw on, but certainly from, I cannot remember in the pre-internet slash early internet phase things being this hyper-partisan and, and people being at each other's throats over political issues to this extent. Um, but, I mean, if we step back into that era, everyone was watching the same nightly news, everyone yeah. was reading the same daily newspaper, there wasn't this flowering of information online, so people probably just didn't need to be... Um, split up, divided and conquered in that same way, uh, because everyone was on the same page reading the same hymn book, essentially. Um, so I think, I, and plus, I mean, look, I mean, I'm, I'm, I grew up in the 80s, so whatever was happening before that point, I, I can't really speak to. And, and I think the word that comes to mind for the era that we're living in, for me, is witch hunts. It's, it's becoming about witch hunts in a lot of different respects, not only the kind of, you know, the, uh, I'm taking offense at everything. Oh my God, I can't believe you said that. Let's get you fired. Kind of thing. But also, um, witch hunts in the political sense, um, even, and, and, and part of that is part of the, the, the partisanship, the, uh, the kind of ideological purity that you, yes, here is the checklist. If you are a good leftist, you believe this. If you are a good person on the right, you believe this. And if you don't circle and, you know, cross every T and dot every I on, on that list, then, you know, go to go, yeah. to go to hell. We don't want you anymore. You know that kind of stuff. And it's really is that's that seems to be ramping up and up and up. And again, I have to think this is part of psychological warfare that's being played on the t- public right now. It's it's part of the divide and conquer. Because here's actually a point that I made in a video uh, a few years ago. Um, oh, 
I'm not sure I'm going to remember the name of the video, but it was something to do with uh, divide and conquer. But uh, uh, the the point of the video was when you looked at the Tea Party movement the, before it became this GOP thing, you know, that was clearly taken over by the the establishment. The initial impetus for the Tea Party movement and the initial gatherings sounded and looked on the issues quite a bit like the initial Occupy kind of movement before, again, that got co-opted and, and shoved away. You know, again, the the left and the right, actually, they they agreed on a lot of things about corporate influence in politics yeah. and we got to get the money out and things like this. They, they agreed on some fundamental issues, but they hated each other and they were taught to hate each other by, again, the media. And whether it was, you know, Jon Stewart making fun of, you know, those stupid tea, tea baggers and all of that nonsense that got paraded around, you know, the, the two minutes of hate that was on every night, you know, let's hate the other side about this, even though some of the points they're making are the same points that we're making, but they're, you know, wearing the wrong color, you know, on the suit yeah. or whatever. So I think that it's it's interesting to me to look at that. I think we, generally speaking, the public is more in the same boat than we tend to understand or realize because we are pitted at each other's throats all the time. Yeah, and I definitely, as you mentioned earlier, would love to hear, uh, we, we see some of the ways, especially in, in the American media, now that it seems that the Hollywood uh, elite, the media, and political elite are all on the same page, we see how some of the ways governments uh, are using social media and, and manipulating, trying to manipulate public opinion. But if we can, let's get into uh, some of the ways that you point out in your latest podcast about the way not only the government but also the military is influencing uh, public opinion and not only uh, trying to sway public opinion but trying to uh, change it and manipulate it through even creating false news stories, lies, and whatnot, and narratives that are, uh, you know, in some cases ruining lives and changing the perception of many to, you know, towards untruth and deception. And it seems so many today are snared by deception in many different ways. But, yeah, let's break this down a little bit. All right. Well, do you remember a couple of years ago the story came out that Facebook had been conducting a psychological experiment on people's news feeds in order to examine whether the way they tailor your newsfeed could affect your mood. Do you remember that story? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that came out uh, after the fact, of course, after they'd done it, and they manipulated 700,000 users' newsfeeds without uh, obviously letting them know. Um, Some saw positive news, others saw more negative news, and they basically examined um, the, the person's profile to see how they reacted to that and what their emotional state was after that. And when it came out, it was a big scandal because, you know, for what Facebook is manipulating our news feeds and doing experiments on us, what the, what's this all about? Well, actually, there was a follow-up to that that might have gotten drowned in the noise, which was that that was part of a broader U.S. Department of Defense research program that was ongoing at the time under the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA. Um, which had a program, and this was just one experiment within that program, uh, called the Social Media in Strategic Communication. 
And you can go read about this on DARPA's website, and you can read the documents and and, uh, listen to the founder talking about it. But basically, this program was a multi-year, I think it lasted officially, at least on the books as far as we know, four years, and was funded to the tune of $50 million, and was all about, um, quote, developing tools to help identify misinformation or deception campaigns and counter them with truthful information. (laughs) Oh, doesn't that sound warm and fluffy coming from the Department of Defense, right? Oh, yes, truthful information from your loving government. Um, So part as part of this program, there were over 200 research papers that were published, and uh, you can go and look at the list and read through the the papers. And they were on some pretty interesting subjects. Uh, Some of the titles of some of these papers incorporating human cognitive biases in a probabilistic model of retweeting or structural properties of ego networks or sentiment prediction using collaborative filtering. Uh, I think you get the point. They are looking, they're examining very carefully social media and how it is used, how online communities form on social media, how they they they, they form networks, how they, they influence each other, um, sentiment analysis and things like this. How can we better understand what people are feeling from just a few words in a tweet? Um, all of this is being diligently studied and uh, profusely um, hundreds of papers being published just under this one program to try to better understand the online space, social media, how it functions, and obviously, as a corollary, as always, with any defense defense research, it's always offense research at the same time. You can't have a, oh, it's a defensive bioweapons program. We're just, you know, defensively seeing how to create anthrax so that we know, you know, how the Russians will do it kind of thing. Um, well, here it is exactly the same idea. It's, oh, we're just defensively looking into how things go viral and how to spread information online so that, quote, you know, dot, 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 we can use it ourselves. And we do know that there are uh, not just the Americans, but the Canadian government and others around the world have admitted that they are employing teams uh, to go on, on websites, in comment sections, in forums, and to post truthful information, to correct things that are wrong about people's perceptions of the government. Uh, that's utterly creepy, isn't it? And that breaks some long-standing ideas that people have, although... It's not a part of law anymore, but, you know, in the U.S., at least theoretically, for a long time, the government was theoretically prohibited from using propaganda against its own citizens. Of course, it always did, but but uh, even those laws have been stricken from the books now. But, uh, you know, there's at least that idea that it's creepy and weird to, for the government to be doing that. But, uh, I mean, just think about the, the possibilities of this. So this goes back to my fundamental point that I've made many times over the years, which is humans are the most studied species on the planet. Uh, there's so much work that most people will never hear of, never see, never think about in their day-to-day lives. Why would they go and read incorporating human cognitive biases in a probabilistic model of retweeting? Of course, no normal person is going to sit down and, and read something like that. But this is being diligently studied hey, that's by on my hundreds and hundreds of instant, uh, research institutions to try to better understand you and how you work and how to manipulate your behavior online. And uh, it's not even a question of being naive to think this isn't being used against us. They admit they're using these things against us. Absolutely. And who knows, I mean, how much more is out there that is uh, weaponized and used against us. Basically, everything that we do, everything we like, all that information is, is gathered in databases and sold to companies. 
on yes. top of everything else. And then yes, I don't and know. that's an important point. Let me just make that point because this social media in strategic communication program that DARPA was doing, this $50 million program, this was all open and uh, all their information was public and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's nothing conspiratorial here. Um, but you're exactly right. This is just the, the public face of mm-hmm. this type of research. And the, you know, oh, here, here public, we'll show you what we're doing. Meanwhile, and, and, and of course, in their re- request for proposals that they put up on their website, it was all, uh, you know, it will only be, we, we'd like to see you coming up with programs where you, you ask users for their participation in the program and blah, 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 things like that. But of course, yes, you're exactly right. Underneath all of that, we know the NSA is absolutely Absolutely gobbling up every bit of data that is traveling through the internet, through telephone, through satellite, all over the United States and around the world. They are gobbling that up. They're storing it in their Salt Lake City uh, uh, operation, their 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 facility there. And absolutely, that is the database they're using. It's not this oh we're requesting participation of you know Twitter users in this one project or whatever. No, it's everything. Everything you do, everything you purchase online, everything, everyone you talk to, everyone you interact with, everywhere you go is being tracked, is being databased, and absolutely is being analyzed to better weaponize that information against you. No, you're absolutely right. And I don't know if you saw the recent study, maybe it was a week or two weeks ago, that showed people who used to spend a lot of time on social media who are spending less time on social media are actually in better moods. And they found that there is a correlation between Internet activity or at least social media activity and uh, your mood and, and your behavior. And, yes, and tie that back to all of the founders of all of these different platforms and, and some of the developers and the people who were first working on it um, coming out and admitting they don't use social media anymore and they actively keep it away from their children. And uh, we had Sean Parker, who was one of the founders of Facebook, uh, just a couple months ago coming out and explaining uh, precisely why. It's because he said this was from the start. We were trying our best to weaponize. I think he used the word weaponize uh, these platforms to uh, exploit your psychological vulnerabilities, to keep you addicted to the screen, to keep you addicted to that dopamine hit of, oh, a new like, a new a new post, a new comment, and to get you, uh, yeah, to play your emotions. And of course, yes, absolutely. The uh, The obvious part of this is when you step away from that craziness that you see in in those social media platforms yeah you do genuinely feel better so there's yeah. absolutely something to that and look at the uh what we just saw this week or, or late last week the what was it the kid who didn't have his ipad and screamed for eight hours on an airplane they were learning that there is a a huge correlation uh between uh, you know children and looking at screens and a lack of imagination even well, one thing that's interesting with the reappearance of the x-files on uh, Fox in their 11th season is they put all the old episodes on demand, and when I have time, I like to go back and watch those. And at the ending of one of the episodes, it reminded me of a Twilight Zone episode, they showed a way to kill a child's imagination, and they had him sitting in a room with all these different TVs and whatnot. But it it takes on a new meaning today when everybody has basically a screen or a TV with their phone, and we see, uh, you know, this, this phenomenon of people who are killing themselves taking selfies or walking in the middle of the street without looking, getting hit by cars, where guidelines are being issued in certain cities about phone use when out in public. And it's become such a problem, such an addiction. And you talked about the the dopamine. Is that what it is, no matter if it's the social media or playing games on the... What is it about people that they need to have that screen right in front of their face 
And that really has, uh, you know, so much of our society has is a part of this behavior constantly now. It's like nothing else matters except yeah. what's on that screen. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. So it is, it is a dopamine hit and it functions in a similar way that, uh, that addicts of various sorts, including cocaine or whatever else, get from the, uh, the, the, the satisfaction of their craving. Um, and that, that isn't, but the, the worst part of it isn't, is that, uh, you know, for an alcoholic or a cocaine addict, uh, it's, it's something you do, you, you can only do so many times a day. But with this social media, it's constant. It never ends. It's 24-7, literally, any time, all the time, any time of the day. You can be sitting there in the screen and checking for new updates, checking for new posts, comments, likes. Um, and it, it, of course, is a feedback mechanism. The more you use it, the more you want to use it to get that, that next hit. And the more you need to use it to get the hit that you used to get when you, you know, it's that, it's the exact same thing as any addiction where you, you kind of build up levels of tolerance. And, and there's, again, there's been lots of studies of this. And, uh, absolutely the people who did this, who created these platforms knew, they knew they were doing this. They purposefully made it this way so that people would become addicted. And hey, mission accomplished. As you say, I mean, the idea of kids sitting in a room full of TVs seems so quaint these days, doesn't it? Considering, yeah, yeah exactly. Everyone is in their phone all the time now. And then one of the most obvious things that we, we haven't even discussed is the fact that think about Facebook. You willingly put your photo, your, all your information on there. If you're married, who your friends are, where you go to school, what your employment is, when you go on vacation, where you go out of town. This is information that people would pay top dollar for, whether it's advertisers, even, uh, you know, people who are criminals and, and commit identity theft and burglaries and whatnot. Um, so this whole, you know, giving your information away for free, turning it over to Facebook has turned into probably just as big a business as advertising on some of these, um, social media platforms. And that's just another area where people don't generally think of well why am i giving all my information yeah you know the, the what, yeah 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 where am i putting I, this, I, this isn't one of those things i just it's one of those topics where i wish we could just denature ourselves from what what has become naturalized just step outside of it for one second and think you know 20 years ago even if if you had been told yeah you're gonna just give all this information out at all times to the point where people are you know live tweeting or live blogging about wherever they are basically broadcasting to the world, hey, guys, I'm not at home right now. Come burgle my house or whatever. I mean, even to that extent, um, if you had told people 20 years ago or 30 years ago or imagine 50 years ago or 100 years ago telling people about that, it would be absolutely horrifying. But today, it's, well, you're not on Facebook? Are you weird? You know, it's that. It, uh, and in fact, there are employers that specifically discount potential new employees because they're not on Facebook. So there must be something strange about them. Um, it is it, it's the exact inversion of what would have been nightmare at some point has become completely naturalized and normalized. And it's one of those things where you, know, you kind of get kind of get into it and you don't realize what you're stepping into because it happens bit by bit by bit but suddenly the whole culture has shifted around it yeah and it's um you know it seems like a a war that we are losing as it everything becomes more and more convenient more and more normal you know they're basically giving phones away to anybody who will have them uh schools are all and have all pretty much adopted computers and we're moving towards that in that direction of of more of a digital media as we have been talking about throughout the broadcast versus 
the traditional mainstream media and and what we see how people used to gather their news all watching the same two three four channels um, now we see that there are uh, it's even to the point where if you prefer bias news you can get bias news uh, on either side of the aisle and, and there's so much out there and it's a good thing but it's always uh, like anything it's a double-edged sword and moderation is is key especially with the the social media stuff and i try to stay as far away from social media as possible um but that's just me um we i've uh thankfully managed to make it a bit of a meme that uh, the corporate report is not on facebook and i've Encouraged musicians uh, who are so inclined to make uh, ditties uh, about the Corbett Report is not on Facebook. I've had a few people submit songs already, so I put up some music videos about the Corbett Report is not on Facebook. Uh, I would love that kind of thing to go viral, but it, you know, maybe I'm tilting at the wrong windmill because Facebook is losing users and is becoming quickly uh, a social network for you know grandmas and grandpas to check up on their grandchildren more so than anything else. So I think the cool people have moved on to. I don't know, Snapchat? I, I, genuinely, yeah, so I, I genuinely don't understand these new social media platforms, and I'm, I, I'm not exactly an old man yet, you know, I'm, but I'm already so disconnected from these new platforms that are coming up, because what on earth was the point of Vine? I mean, it's gone now, I guess, but I could never wrap my head around the idea of these six-second videos. I, I, what, <laughs> I've never what, heard of it. Why? I get it for a joke here and there, sure, but to make an entire platform around that, it made no sense. And now Snapchat and Instagram and all this, I just, I've I just never don't even get on those. Them. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. The, uh, we, we've seen, um, Twitter. Twitter has been engaged as well as YouTube has in a number of censorship campaigns, specifically against conservatives and, and Christians. And it seems to be people who are trying to tell the truth. Uh, you said Facebook is, is losing users. Is Google as powerful as the U.S. government? And is, are these social media platforms, do they have this kind of political influence and power? And will this get bigger? Or as you said, will they might, uh, some of these might, might fall off? But Google being the main one, uh, yeah. what, what, any, um, is the government well, going to come and in? that's such an important yeah. question because the the answer to that question really depends on us, doesn't it? It, it is mm-hmm. ultimately our decision the extent to which these these vehicles have control over our lives to a large extent, not not completely. I mean, we're not completely controlling uh, in control of ever, anything, but we have a we have a say in this, and we can turn to alternatives. We can recognize that there is a huge problem in all congregating on these few platforms that we know are controlled, are censored, are politically motivated in various ways. If we all congregate there and if we just say, ah, you know, there's, what are you going to do? It's, it's the best search engine, so I got to use it. Or, you know, YouTube is the best video platform, so I've got to use it. If we do that, then obviously we are, we are, we are the problem. We're not, we're not victims of the problem anymore. If we are actively collaborating and making that problem continue and grow, then we are the problem. So it is, it is really up to us. And I think that's the hopeful part about this. Because, look, we're talking about all the negative effects of all of this, but the positive is that I am sitting here now talking to you from my apartment in Japan, uh, from my house in Japan, and we're having this conversation that in any other era of human history wouldn't have even been imaginable, let alone possible. And I I wouldn't be here doing the Corbett Report. The Corbett Report website wouldn't exist. I have no idea. I guess I'd still be teaching children to say I like apples in Japan or something if if this wasn't the Internet era. So there's there's something 
very positive about this. And the thing about the internet medium is that it is an interactive medium to a certain extent anyway, certainly more so than television or print, where you are simply a passive vehicle that is just being spoken to, well, now you can speak back. You can have conversations. You can contribute. You can become a YouTube star or whatever. You can be you can be active in that. And, of course, a lot of people will still just use this as a passive vehicle to just accept whatever is coming at them. But more people are becoming part of that conversation. That is hopeful. Of course, the underlying part of all of this is if we just devolve or resort back to the old previous paradigm where there were a few gatekeepers that everybody turned to and everybody went there, and then it's the same thing. We're just replicating the same reality on the Internet. So I've talked about this a number of times, and I've put up uh, a a number of things about uh, alternative search engines, alternative email uh, services you can use, alternative video platforms and alternative social media sites that aren't part of this controlled platform nexus that has been created online. And it is a choice that we're making. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there is the network effect. So just because you have millions and millions and millions of people using YouTube or using Google or whatever, it, then it becomes more useful than some other alternative network that only has a few hundred users. Um, but if we don't, if we don't make that decision, if we don't, give take back our power then it's never going to get better it's only going to get worse and more centralized and more in the control of these handful of corporations no you're exactly right and um as much as and maybe this is why we see the mainstream media uh diving so so far off the deep end with their their lies and and their stories is because there are as you said so many alternative uh channels and means of information out there that do tell the truth, that people do gravitate to uh, because they care more about the truth than political narratives. And maybe the you know CNNs of the world and the MSNBCs uh, see that their control over these narratives are declining. Especially it is uh, evident when you see things like, uh, you know, this Robert Mueller and the media have been pushing this Russian collusion for so long as though it's already a foregone conclusion and the proof has come out. Yet when we see these indictments like this, you know, over half the population here and, and the real media pick it apart uh, to where it, it's a joke within 24 hours, uh, anybody trying to, to say otherwise. And there is power in that, a lot of power in that, versus what we would have seen if this was 30 years ago going through this, where you would get one set of talking points and, you know, one narrative per event. We see uh, lots of options out there, and the... The, the thoughts and, and minds of people really expanding out there. But it is a problem when people only gravitate to the information that they believe is important to them or only they believe is the truth or wish was the truth. These echo chambers, as it were, that we see so often on different parts of the Internet and specifically on the, the left-wing media at this point. And then censorship is another issue that we're having to deal with. But as long as there are people out there creating the content and continuing to, uh, you know, share that, there will always be outlets for us to use. But do you see the Internet becoming a place of, like we're seeing in, in Europe, where you're seeing comments being labeled as hate speech and people are being prosecuted for even calling out an Islamist t- terror attack, uh, that being labeled hate speech? Do you see a time in America where that will, you think that will ever be true with the Internet? 
More so than the boot of government stamping on the people's face, I think the the more the the bigger question really is about these uh, corporations and the, the the internal policies that they the terms of service that they put up. Because you know, I mean, Google can can do what it wants when it when it decides to move remove a YouTube channel. It's their platform; they can remove you if they want, or you know, you know, fill in the blank with any other social media site or any other site like that where they control it and they let you use it then yeah they can choose what to do and they can censor reality they can they can censor you off their platform if they don't like what you're saying or the way you're saying it um so that i think is the the more the more chilling idea i think because ultimately laws uh, are always people will revolt at a certain point when it comes too deeply into their their personal lives like that but when it's these faceless corporations and it's their platform and what can you do and the worst part is that people won't even know to a large extent that they're being manipulated because the voices that are being censored off those platforms, if they're only going to those platforms, they'll never hear to know about anyway. But yes, there are ideological echo chambers obviously being created right now. And and we, we mentioned a couple of times about the biased news sources. My position is there is no such thing as an unbiased news source. I do not, I think the idea, um, I, John Pilger talked about this in a, a, a really in a way that really drives it home that the idea of professional journalism as as we kind of grew up with um was created about a century ago uh, as by the 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 corporations at that time and the the political cronies and the banker cronies and that uh, that were connected that wanted to create this establishment narrative the status quo here's the left side of this debate and here's the right and you can argue anywhere in there just don't look anywhere outside of those that spectrum. Um, that's that was established uh, consciously about a century ago, and has been the at least for again for I I am starting to talk like an old man because I'm not sure the younger generation this applies well, to them in the same Jim. way. But for me growing up, it was always the idea of you know here's the the establishment professional journalist who gets the quote from this person and the quote from this person and says well he, you know it's up to you to decide. That's unbiased objective journalism uh that was a pipe dream it always was because at the most basic level every editorial decision is comes from a state of bias even what you report on and what you do not report mm-hmm. on is a bias it comes from bias i mean if you choose not to report on whatever building 7 or whatever it is um if you don't report on it it's it's because you have decided that that is not a priority it doesn't you know it's not it's not the thing I'm going to look at. It's not the thing we're, we're going to invest our reporters' time on. And as a result, it never gets talked about. It never gets reported. That is a, a bias. And it's a bias that people don't even see or don't even think about generally. What do you report on? What do you not report on is a biased decision. So I think the point is that all news comes from a biased source because we're all biased as human beings. We all have certain ideas and pre preconceptions and what have you. The point is to know the bias, the the tendency of any outlet that you're looking at, and be able to take that into account when you're looking at the information, and to be able to balance that with information from other sources. So um, I see that the, right, there's yeah. there's kind of the double bind of um, of the mainstream sort, uh, obviously only only crediting itself and establishment sources and professional journalists and all of that. So anyone in the independent space is just a crazy lunatic. Uh, what, you have a different idea of what happened in Ukraine or Syria or whatever? Oh, you're, you're insane. Um, but on the other side, you have the, the online independent alternative media that kind of, there's, there is a police watchdog thing that goes on there where 
you know, if you cite a report from Reuters or whatever, oh look, you're 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 promoting Reuters. Why do you why are you promoting them? Why do you believe them? The point is, information is information, and you have to take it knowing what the source is and where it, you know the the bias is coming from and filtering through that. But you have to get the information from different sources and be able to piece it together that way. Because if you're only getting it from one one channel, one source, one one stream, then you are going to have a exceptionally skewed worldview. And I think that is part of the problem of what's happening now with this hyper-partisanship and people getting more and more caught up because they can concentrate so so uh, so much of their information basically coming from the same types of sources. Well, you know, we, we've covered a lot of ground here, uh, James, and we only got about six, seven minutes left. And uh, a great conversation and insight on media, media biases and the different uses uh, whether it is governments, militaries, whether it is people. And we covered a lot of ground here. Uh, folks, make sure you go to CorbettReport.com. That's the Cor- that's CorbettReport.com. There you can get all the articles and audio as well as video content. And I wanted to make sure we ask you this. I know we spent most of the time talking about the media. But from your perspective in Japan, even from, I don't know if, how much in, the, in your media you see this, what's going on in Syria? Why are all these countries, if ISIS is allegedly defeated or reported to be defeated, why are we seeing all these increased deaths from Iranians and, and Russians and U.S. and these conflicts continuing? Why are we still seeing so much happening in Syria when the conflict has been going on for so long, it seems that things should be over? I know Assad's not gone, but that really wasn't the, the goal, uh, the stated goal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question, and that's the question we should be hearing on any, you know, establishment news site, but for some reason we never hear that. No. Yeah, why, what is going on? Why are they still there? So what's the, what's, what is happening now at, at this point? You know, after, uh, 90% plus, depending on the poll, depending on the day, depending on whatever, um, of the people of Syria are now not in support of Assad, but in support of the Syrian government, and, and uh, kicking out the jihadis, which seems like a pretty reasonable position for a lot of people. Why Why are we still there, and what's going on? And it's been, what, seven years now of this? Well, actually, over a decade, if you go back to, on the record, we know from leaked documents, we know that the Bush administration was funding the Syrian opposition since 2006, whatever operations were going on before that point. So we know that this has been in the crosshairs for over a decade at this point. What on earth is still happening? Why is there still combat happening and people dying, and what what's going on uh excellent question and the the fundamental underlying answer to that is that it isn't about syria per se it never was about syria or the syrian people of course that's the fig leaf that is always used for any intervention in any place whatsoever the exact same way in 2011 it's the libyan people oh we have to help the libyan people from their cruel oppressive tyrant muammar gaddafi we have to go in there and let the bombs fly and that will save the libyan people so we went in there and let the bombs fly and gaddafi died yay haha <laughs> Uh, as Hillary Clinton laughed about the news, uh, we came, we saw he died. <laughs> um, yeah. And yay, mission accomplished, right? So, okay, the Libyan people are saved. Let's wash our hands and walk away. And now you have open slave markets functioning in Libya. Not a peep from the press. Who cares? Libya, that is so yesterday's news. Libyan people, why would you care about that? We we saved them, right? Um, that is, I mean, so the humanitarian intervention nonsense is always 
total nonsense. It's not about helping the people of Syria against their cruel, oppressive tyrant at all. regime. It is about the geopolitical and other interests that are behind the toppling of Assad. And uh, that, unfortunately, that, that, that nexus has nothing to do with the Syrian people themselves. It has to do with power relations between Russia and the U.S. and Turkey and Saudi Arabia and Qatar and all these different people who want their finger in that pie for different reasons. It's uh, and now it's just a total mess. And how, the question is, how do you how do you extricate yourself from that mess without you know losing an important part of the chessboard and all of this? So like like so many of these operations, it really has nothing to do with the people themselves. It has nothing to do with the country itself. It has to do with the geopolitical objectives that are being uh, waged uh, in that theater, using these people as basically chess pieces as pawns. And it's so unfortunate to see after. The stats came out in 2014 and hundreds of thousands of people dead in, in civil war and conflict in these countries. Specifically, that was just in Syria, those numbers. Who knows what it's at today? And we, ha- it seems, are, have more countries in Syria now than ever before. And the proxy battles that are ongoing, we just saw the U.S. and uh, these Russian civilians, which is such a weird story, who apparently are over there as mercenaries or on their own, according to the Russian government, who were at- attacked the U.S. base and hundreds of them were killed, just creating all all this craziness over there. And I don't get, especially with the Trump administration, somebody who ran on national sovereignty, you know, no uh, wars that are undeclared, why we haven't seen a reversal of some of these policies. And I guess with the public's attention in this country, uh, so much so on the, uh, the hyper-politicalization of everything, Things like Syria are not important. If they're not on the mainstream's radar, they're not really on the administration's radar. I guess, you know, they're getting... And and that's the worst part of this, is that, again, it gets put into the political football game so that uh, people who would have, when Obama was letting the bombs fly and the the guns uh, shipped to, to Syria, were all against it, but now it's happening under Trump, so it's like, ah, you know, maybe it's a good thing. Uh, what you gonna do? Ah, oh, you know, we gotta, we gotta be there. So it, it, it happens every time, and it'll continue to happen. When Bush was doing it, it was a horrible thing to the left. When Obama was doing it, it was, uh, you know, we gotta do it. When uh, Obama was doing it, it was a horrible thing for the right. When Trump's doing it, ah, oh, you know, we gotta do it. So it's just, it's, that's the game. And unfortunately, that is the stupidest, simplest psychological trick in the book. And it continues to work, and they're going to continue to do it through administration after administration after administration. Yeah, if it's, uh, you know, why fix it if it's not broke? Our guest, James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. We only got about a minute left. Anything you got going uh, upcoming or uh, podcasts you want to promote? Anything you want to talk about that we didn't cover? Yes, well, as I say, I am working on that uh, podcast about the weaponization of social media, so I'm hoping to have that up in the next week or two, um, at any rate, in the near future. And in the meantime, of course, people can check out CorbettReport.com. That's my site where I have literally thousands and thousands of hours of audio and video completely free, available for download. Um, you can check out my articles and all of that. So uh, that's the one-stop shop for all of my information, and uh, I hope people will use it as a resource. That's what it's intended to be. Again, I have my own perspectives my own biases and my own position that I'm coming from. So I hope people take that into account and just use the information that you can verify for yourself. That's what it always comes down to. Well, we thank you so much for taking the time out to join us. And I'll keep an eye on uh, Corbett Report, and I will definitely post that podcast on our channel when it does uh, become public. 
and we will talk about it, and we'll have to absolutely have you back on. This Great. is a fascinating show. I, I, I was just it, just it captured through this by this conversation. Go ahead, show. Take them, take them out. James, thank you so much for for joining us. We'll have to have you back on, and again, we'll promote your podcast as when it comes out, dealing with some of what we touched on tonight. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. Anytime. When we come back, a little change of schedule. Usually, Stan Dale joins us Tuesday in hour number three, but he has uh, an issue or a scheduling conflict where he's not going to be coming on tonight, so we're going to be joined by Pastor Paul Begley, another Hagman favorite. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this break for our third and final hour. final hour on this Tuesday edition of the Hagman Report. We're going to be joined by Pastor Paul Begley in just a few moments. As I said before, Standale usually joins us in hour three of Tuesday, but he was unable to join us tonight, so Pastor Paul Begley is going to step in and join hey, us. You want to make sure people know where, where they can find us live. It's HagmanReport.com. Just, let's drive this home. Yeah. You want me to? HagmanReport.com you go there not only for the important stories of the day, but also if you want to watch us live on video, there is a Watch Now feature on the website just to the right of, um, right at the top of the website. And you go there and click there, and you can watch the video feed uh, there live. We also upload the shows and the segments to YouTube afterwards, though we're still trying to figure out the best way to broadcast the show. And many people want us to come back on YouTube live we just had our channel restored, and at the same time, an argument's being made, well, if they can take you off once, they can take you off again. And that's my feeling. I, you know, so, uh, seriously. There are ups and downs to everything. Uh, look, I believe if Global Star Radio Network, and they did, they came to, they came and they said, okay, we will broadcast your video. To me, that speaks a lot about loyalty. That speaks a lot about the, um, the environment. You know, uh, uh frankly, Joe, YouTube is a platform that uses us. That uh, it, well, I mean, we we well. Here's the bottom line: we are at Global Star Satellite Radio Network. We're at Global Star Radio Network. Period. Go to HagmanReport.com. You want to watch us live? That's where to go. Because you're right. But we still lose a lot of momentum well, uh, of new you know people what? and whatnot. So I, I, it's it's something we're going to figure out. People can't go to HagmanReport.com and click on the the watch live. Some won't. No, they won't. It's well, just the way of the well, way of the I internet, I, I guess. I, I don't know what to say to those people except to say that you know uh, some people live on YouTube. Well, it's like their cable. You know, somebody sits in front of the TV and you watch it via archive. I, it, we do our best to stay up. Yeah, our program. You, you, you have to understand, and I and I mentioned this in my morning program. I, I'll tell you that I mentioned. I, I indicated this in the evening. There were so many people who wanted to take us off the air. You, you've got no folks. You've got no idea the fight that we fight, and that's not to say poor us. 
if it's happening to us, you know it's happening to some of the bigger channels. You know it's happening to some of the smaller channels who are end up just being a footnote in in history. L- let me explain. I, I mean, I, I don't know how else to to really put it except to say that we are in the fight of our lives every single day. We wake up, we are in a fight. We go to bed, we are in a fight. We're we're in a fight to stay broadcasting and it's expensive it's time consuming just engaging in that fight is both expensive and time consuming you've got no idea people think well you just you must have it real easy just sit and talk and that's it no there's a whole there's an entire world that people really don't understand what goes on and I want to having said that I want to thank our producer John Robertson I want to thank our technical Guy who's in charge of like all of the, the spaceship command center, Eric the tech. And I want to thank uh, all of you for listening. And, and of course, Joe and I, we, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for supporting us and for helping us and for just being there for us. It's not a plea for money. This is not a, a this is only to say thank you. Thank you for what you do. We feel very blessed to have you. Go ahead, Joe. We have with us Pastor Paul Begley as our guest. Pastor Paul, it's great to have you back on the show. Uh, we didn't talk before the show. Where do you want to start tonight? We know we have the Occupy Conference coming up and a lot going on in the news. Yeah, wherever you guys want to go. I mean, there's a ton of stuff going on. The Occupy Conference is going to be a lot of fun. I'm coming to your guys' neck of the woods, I guess. Going to get together with you guys and several others over in uh, Canton, Ohio. Looking forward to it. Really are. No, we are looking forward to it as well, and it should be a great conference. Go to HagmanReport.com. There's a banner as it's up on the screen right now. The Occupy 2018 conference, April 20th through the 22nd in Canton, Ohio. Really looking forward to that. And apparently they, they've added a few speakers since we, um, initially signed on. I think it's up to nine speakers. So definitely a great event. Register uh, there at the Occupy 2018. And that should be fun. It, it seems like the, the time is just flying by. It's going to be here. Uh, in just a few months, just uh, we were just talking about it, and it was three months away. Now it's only two months away, and that'll be here before we know it. So definitely looking forward to that. Um, in the news, Pastor, there, there's so much going on in the news. Uh, we just got done talking with with James Corbett for an hour about media manipulation, the, the uses and weaponization of social media, and we see that now more than ever in our country. And one of the things that I really would like to talk about and start with is this media manipulation and this mass mass shooter situation we have where these kids are being paraded around and have become the new mouthpiece for gun control. Apparently, these people you can't criticize because they were the victims of a, of a school shooting, but they're being paraded all over the TV saying we need to ban the Second Amendment, ban assault weapons, on and on and on. What do you make of, of this latest school shooting and the media's response to it? It's a great question, Joe, and I appreciate you and Doug having me on tonight. And, uh, the, look, the school shooting was horrific. The shoot, the, you know, the shooting, the murder, the situation is awful. But again, the media has tried every angle to get a hold of the Second Amendment and, and get it, uh, removed from all of our Constitution. These young people, they are the victim. They, they are upset and they have a right to be. We're not protecting them. I mean, we, we put armed guards and we guard the banks. There's not a bank. You're not going to break in. You're not going to go into a bank today with a gun and take the cash, okay? It is protected. There's usually two armed guards 
The money's in the vault. There's cameras everywhere. You're just not going to get to the cash, but you can get to the kids. Okay. So this isn't about this, this, this whole thing to take the guns away is somehow going to make, make the whole world safe again is insane. Go to Chicago. You take the guns away from the average citizen. You take the guns away from the taxpaying, uh, law-abiding citizen. Then they are a target for the criminals who have the guns. And these, these safe zone cities, I mean, it's insane. That's why the murders are off the charts. Um, and then add a sanctuary city on top of that. And you've got a, you've got a recipe for a disaster. You got the apocalypse in Chicago. But what they're doing in the media, manipulating with the kids and just basically playing this up, they are, look, the kids don't know about the Constitution because they're not even taught history no more in school. So they don't know what it, what it takes to protect a nation. The military is trashed in the high schools. Just see what happened in California. If you go, you know, the, the teachers up there ranting and raving and saying, if you're going to join the military, you're a loser. Okay. So the military is is uh, disparaged, has talked down, has is thrown off the cliff. Nobody wants to stand for the flag, okay? Nope, just disrespect everywhere. They've watched the swamp do nothing but try to destroy the Constitution and the president and his cabinet and everything to do with the election process with this Russian collusion confusion. But at the end of the day, we could protect every school. There is enough unemployed veterans right now that we could put through, we could check them out, make sure the ones that have really got their act together, and we could hire armed security not to go around and check these kids for smoking pot or for doing something. I'm just saying protect the building. We could shut down school shootings. I could get it done in three days, three days, the whole country. Well, a lot of people seem to be opposed to any solution which requires the arming of any school personnel, whether it be security guards or teachers. Uh, many say it's not realistic. Many say that it's going to create more of a problem. But obviously, we see so many of these crimes happen in what are labeled gun-free zones. And uh, I believe having more deterrence uh, with people having arm, arms inside schools would actually help as well. But I don't think the uh, the... We're not going to see people go for this. We're not going to see, especially, we, we see people are so defiant, and it's not even people, it's institutions and, uh, you know, school districts where we see this, what you're playing, what you just said, is working in Texas. There are communities in Texas who have trained teachers and other personnel to be armed in schools, and they even have signs saying as much. But then you have uh, the opposite being true in, in places uh, like this Florida area where, you know, they, they turn around and say, you know, we're going to make it a double gun-free zone now, you know, in defiance of, of your weapons. And it's not, it, everything's become so politicized that nobody seems to be able to, to debate these issues without going to those far extremes. You know, don't touch any of my weapons or anything, and, and the other side of that is, uh, you know, ban the Second Amendment, and there doesn't seem to be any give and take and maybe that's just, uh, you know, we see that the, the media and the left have been about attacking constitutional rights. So I understand people's apprehension and I don't even want to give in a little bit or, or even put the conversation on the table because they're afraid that the government is just going to go, you know, full crazy, which it's been trying to do for so long and attempt to, you know, end 
some of these freedoms, especially the Second Amendment, which protects many of our other freedoms. But it doesn't look like this is going to be, this situation is going to be solved anytime soon. And I think we're going to continue to see events like this, mass shootings like this. And it's a pastor, I believe it's a spiritual problem, not a gun problem. Would you, would you say that, uh, obviously you're a pastor, I believe you would say it's a spiritual problem at its root, but do you think that is what is this dividing line we see in our country more than the politicalization of everything, that it's a spiritual problem? Absolutely. Joe, you, you're right on the money. Um, you know, it is a spiritual problem. There's a spirit of violence. Uh, the cultures become virtual reality. Uh, you know, when the games are, uh, are so real that the killing is so easy, uh, that's a part of it. Uh, but, uh, at the same time, you know, there's some things that the mental health issues really does need addressed. We do have a lot of folks that are mentally challenged that need some help. Money has been cut. The government has cut almost mental, uh, health care completely out. And this is another problem we have. Also, you know, bump, I see the president is wanting to do away with bump, uh, bumper stock or bump stock, you know, try to take some of these weapons and slow them down a little bit and, and not have this, uh, a machine making machine guns. Uh, you know, that, that's all good. And I think that those are two areas that really need to be addressed, mainly the mental health area and, uh, and maybe a few of these things. But again, it's not a gun issue. It is a, spiritual issue and that spirit of violence is exactly what the bible said would happen in the days of noah they the the earth was filled with violence and men's hearts were on evil continually and every imagination of the heart was on evil and so we're living in that era now where there's spirit of rebellion and it seems like we're so divided and so divisive and hatred and it is a spiritual problem you know the bible says when the righteous are in authority the people rejoice but when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. And I think right now we still haven't fixed the one area that really needs adjusted, and it is our Supreme Court. We need to make a couple more adjustments to where a lot of these curses that are upon this country could be reversed. There's at least three very, very blatant curses that should be reversed, which would change a lot of the atmosphere. Also, the media has lost all credibility. The mass media, uh, they have no credibility. They call us fake news, but they're the one. I mean, the president has said it time and time again. It's really sad. God, you know, and I heard Doug just before I came on. Doug is so right about the attack, the assault on alternative media, on you guys and myself and others. I mean, it's a war every day. We're, we're in a war every day, and a spiritual war it is. And so we have to continue to lean on one another, lift each other up, be there for each other. And uh, I'm constantly telling people on my show uh, about your guys' show, and uh, they can find you. And I put the link today on my uh, uh, description where they can find you right now. And, uh, you know, God's on your God's on your side. We're going to win this thing. We're just going to hang in there together. Yeah, and it seems that uh, this issue, and one of the things, Pastor, that's been talked about, with this school shooting and, and overlooked really is how mental illness plays a role in these shootings. And I wanted to ask you this, how much of today's mental illness is something that is described in the Bible as a, as a spiritual problem? And have we completely lost our ability to discern what is a spiritual problem versus a mental illness? 
Absolutely. That's a great question, Joe. Uh, most of the Bible, what we would be diagnosed as a mental condition by today's psychologists and psychiatrists was simply identified immediately by Jesus as a spiritual issue. And uh, the manifestations, the young man that kept falling in the fire and he was having what today we would call an epileptic uh, seizure, Jesus um, commanded that spirit that was doing this to this child to leave. Uh, we had the man that would roam the tombs, you know, had legions of demons, and he would strip down naked, had superhuman strength, and would and lived among the dead in the tombs. And again, Jesus delivered him from this. As a matter of fact, in the Bible says that Jesus delivered them from all manner of evil, uh, unclean spirits and diseases. So, I mean, you're exactly right. It is a spiritual issue. We really are dealing with uh, this spirit of violence, the spirit of murder. And so we have some of these young folks that do have, um, are more susceptible to the spirit. Uh, maybe the, the culture they were, they were raised in. Like Nicholas Cruz, I mean, I understand that his father died when he was young, his mother died of cancer, and he had a lot of pinned up anger. I don't know what all other gates were open. I had Russ Dizzer on my show last night talking about this very thing and trying to figure out, you know, what kind of, what kind of, uh, spirits could have been entering into him and affecting him. So it is a spiritual thing and it, it, it takes prayer. And some things only come about by prayer and fasting, Joe. And, this is one of them, the, the, to deliver these folks from this demonic spirit of, of violence. And it's something that seems to be getting worse and worse and worse, and we're never, uh, we're, we're constantly seeing the blame be put on the guns or on uh, this or that, and, and the, the real root causes of these problems are never properly being addressed. And it's um, it, it's so frustrating to watch. And, and Pastor, I wanted to get talk to you a little bit about also the latest on the Mueller probe and the media manipulation there. It seems like all the the people that should be under investigation are the ones leading the investigation that the witch hunt into Donald Trump. What are your thoughts on the latest of the on the Robert Mueller indictments from last Friday and then uh, even from today where more process crimes uh, today by lawyers from information from 2012 and then Friday some Russians who created social media accounts uh, were indicted for <laughs> attempting to influence the election. Joe, 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 this is the biggest joke in history. I mean, uh, from what I understand, the 13 Russians, which 13 is a good Illuminati number, uh, these 13 Russians uh, was on Facebook. Okay. And they spent a total of forty thousand dollars in in advertisement pushing their agenda. Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party spent eighty one million dollars on Facebook alone. This is a joke. There's no possible way thirteen Russians can convince an entire nation to vote to vote for Donald Trump. This is ridiculous. Uh, and anyway, don't, don't they have a right for their opinion? So what if they live in Russia? So, you know, we want to be globalists, right? I mean, Facebook's open for business. Anybody from any country can set up an account in, uh, Facebook or Google or any other account. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. And they, the whole thing is Mueller goes after these 13 Russians, which is they'll never, those guys will never come to America. Then they get these two lawyers 
that had the kind of a liaison. Uh, and, and guess what? The crimes that they're being charged with or they pled guilty to was not collusion. They're pleading guilty for lying because they were trying to get out of the investigation. So the only thing that they did wrong was lie to try to get out of a a uh, investigation of where they had not committed a crime, really. I mean, this is absolutely the Russian con collusion, confusion is what I call it, and it's insane. And I can't believe that uh, here we are in uh, just about March of 2018, and... This is all it is, 24-7 on your mainstream, mainstream, fake news media. All you ever hear is Russia, 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 Russia. And, uh, I mean, it's a joke. It's a, it's a disaster. And um, I think the American people can see through this. I think at the end of the day, the American people are so sick and tired of MSNBC and CNN, uh, you know, the, the Communist News Network, the Clinton News Network, whatever you want to call them. They're, they're tired. And no wonder these guys... Ratings are in the bottom. They're tanking because the message is not resonating with the American people. It isn't. Mueller is the monster of the swamp. He needs, I mean, he is, and all of his little minions, and James Comey, my homie, show me. I mean, all of these guys, uh, McCabe, all of them. It's a joke. It's a disaster. And they are going to crash and burn. You know, they think there's this blue wave coming in 2018 over this Russian thing. I think there might be a blue wave, but it's it's not going to be people coming into Congress. It may be people leaving Congress uh, at the end of the day. Well, I hope you're right, uh, Pastor, because, you know, we see historical examples of the midterm elections after a president takes office, and it usually sways the other way from the president, but this time it's different. But you said it yesterday. We are in uncharted waters, and I think I think Pastor, you, every day we're seeing something new, something different. Every day we're seeing more dire headlines. We're seeing different headlines. We're seeing everything has changed, hasn't it? Over over the last uh, sixteen months or fourteen months, or at least four hundred days, roughly. Oh, Doug, you're on the money. I mean, it's I've never seen media uh, reporting like we have now. I, I really haven't. You know, I always knew there was partisan. I always knew there was, you know, part, uh, you know, you had your liberal press and then you had a little bit of your conservative press. Basically, talk radio had to be the conservative voice. Now, alternative media, we have to be the leading the way now in alternative media. But I've never seen mainstream media in such a disarray and in, in such a blatant. I mean, they're not even they're not even trying to be partial. They're not even trying to be to look. Uh, you know, I mean, they are partial. Excuse me. They're not even trying to be impartial. They're not even trying to look like they're being fair. This is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And, uh, you're right. It's like, it's like they're in a state. I call it desperation. They're in panic mode right now. They don't have a candidate for 2020. Who are you going to get? You're going to dust off Joe Biden or John Kerry? Or, or Lord, Lord have mercy, bring back Hillary. I mean, really, they don't have a voice, they don't have a message, and the media doesn't know what to do but just holler Russia. I mean, it's insane. Well, they're uh, they're actually they, the left is, has no leader, as you said. They have no new ideas. They have no uh, winning arguments. What they do have is Hollywood, and we've seen from Oprah to today, you know, George Clooney and other celebrities' names being chopped around for interest as to who can run for president. And, you know, maybe in 
what, 2024, 2028, you might see that. I think if, if they try to run a celebrity against Trump, they're going to lose. Uh, right. But after that, I mean, what, are we ever going to see an actual uh, statesman as president again, or is this going to be, you know, the the uh, American reality show from that from here on? I don't know, I'm comfortable with what we got right now. Uh, I don't want another side. Look, I don't. Want, we don't need statesmen. We don't. Need, we don't need flipping politicians. That's my view. But, Pastor, I like, I like. I mean, we're tired of the new world order trying to run our 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 country and and take over our elections and do whatever. I mean, Joe's got a point. We. We may see uh, in 2024, it may be, you know, Jay-Z might be running. Yeah. Now, I don't know who's running. Um, uh, like you said, George Clooney, he actually played a pretty good presidential candidate in uh, in the movie. Uh, uh, what was the name of the movie? It had, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Ides of March. I mean, you know, I mean, there's some guys out there uh, that could maybe play the role. But at the end of the day, uh, I think the American public said goodbye to the swamp. I think we're saying no more corrupt politicians. Give us some people. I would just like to see some good, strong, average Americans yeah. start in uh, seats in Congress and in the Senate. I'd like to see the people, Christians out there right now. Some of you need to run for mayor of your town. You need to run for city council. You need to run for state representative. You need to run for U.S. Congress. You know, and, and let's just get some common. And boy, if we could do away with term limits, guys, uh, wow, this country would get so much more healthier in that swamp. Uh, that's part of the whole. That is the problem right now. Is these guys set up shop for forty years, and you got to look at Lindsey Graham and John McCain, and you got to watch it. You know, Nancy Pelosi, and she's had like I don't know how many boat talk shots, and you got all this other stuff going on. You just there's no representation truly for the American people there right now. No, that there isn't. And, um, you know, one of the ways that I've always said and, and that many others have said that to truly change things, it has to be from basically the ground up. It has to be local politicians, local politics, first, then state, then federal. But we have our priorities backwards. We go, you know, the president and then, you know, the senators and congressmen. And then if we feel up to it, our local politics, um, are, are important or, or we vote. But when you look at the numbers of even some of the, the, just the congressional races and you see how many people vote in your city in those races versus the local elections, you're talking like 20% of uh, voters vote in the local elections, which doesn't make a lot of sense. And I don't know why that is the way it is, but there has to be a, a change from the ground up and we need people to engage in primaries for you know, long-time Democratic or Republican candidates in the House and the Senate. We need people to get out of their comfort zone and not become politicians, but go to Washington to represent the people as politicians, but not in the, the traditional sense. Yeah, I agree with you. And, I, and it'd be surprising if some just are, if some farmers or, uh, you know, uh, if some bankers, if some truck drivers, if some school teachers, if some talk show radio host uh, would, would go ahead and run against some of these big time politicians you'd be surprised what a uh, what a battle they would give them because I tell you you know Joe the plumber I don't care find some guy uh, or some young lady that's really got their act together and 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 let them challenge these guys and uh, the American people will rally around it Trump has changed the political landscape it's okay now to challenge the system. It's okay to stand and stare it down. 
It's all right to say, no, you're lying. And, uh, and, and just, and to just say, look, we're not going to put up with them more. The American public is, is saying, that's what I want, a champion. They're looking for the common man and woman, uh, American citizen, uh, patriots. I mean, uh, they want people who love the nation. You know, put America first, really seriously. And, and I love it when Nikki Haley told the, uh, Pal- uh I believe it was the Palestinian, uh, representative, no, I'm not going to shut up. I love it. I mean, I love that. No, you know, you're not going to come in here and smack us. And I love the fact when she said, hey, we're going to remember every one of you, you know, you guys don't have a problem with us writing the big checks, uh, but you're going to disrespect us when we're in here? I don't think so. I love that. That, that. What Trump is doing there, he's standing down NATO. He looked at NATO and said, you're going to pay your way now. We'll help you, but you're going to pick up your fair share. He looked at the UN and said, you guys are worthless. And if you don't straighten your act up, I don't even know if I will fund you anymore. Then what are you going to do? Uh, he's staring down, I mean, oh, Kim Jong-un, when all the other presidential presidents, all of them, from Bill Clinton to George Bush to uh, Barack Obama, it was appeasement, appeasement, appeasement. We watched this guy sit and build his nuclear arsenal. I mean, really, it's it's time to just say no. I mean, common sense, no, no, no. Absolutely right on the money with that. Um, the geo, the geopolitical landscape, you mentioned, uh, Israel, Nikki Haley, the United Nations. Um, where are we at in the timeline? You being a pastor, you having a, a good handle on everything, uh, with respect to the, um, biblical prophecy. Where are we at today? Is Donald Trump to, to add on to that, is Donald Trump uh, like a Cyrus, for example? Do you consider him like that? Uh, or where are we? You know, I do. I do. And I and I actually did, uh, going back to the summer of 2016, I was actually having lunch with Russ Dizdar, and I asked him that very question. I said, what do you see with Trump? And it was like around June or July of the of the election year. He said he's like a King Cyrus. I mean, he's he's literally had this anointing on him. Uh, he's not perfect, but he's going to stand with Israel, and because he does, it's going to bring great blessings upon America. And uh, and I said, do you think he's going to win the election? He said, yes, I do. Well, I was in Jerusalem in June of 2016 interviewing Avi Lipkin in Jerusalem, and he brought the same thing. He agreed with me. He said, yes, I agree with you. I think that uh, Trump is like a King Cyrus, and I think he's going to stand with Israel, and it's and he isn't just talking the game. He he'll he's not just talk. He walks it. And uh and I said, Well, I think he's gonna win the election. I think there's gonna be a Brexit. I think the British are gonna Brexit and Trump's gonna win the election. And he agreed, he predicted it as well. And we know Mark Taylor wrote the book, he's seen it in two thousand eleven. He predicted it. So I think prophetically we saw what was coming was God's man was being raised up for such a time as this. And the fact that uh, the 70th year now of Israel's existence, the president declares Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. In the prophecies in the Bible are unbelievable, Doug. It's right there in the uh, 44th chapter of the book of Isaiah. It literally says uh, that Cyrus uh, is doing the Lord's work here and is going to lay the foundation of Jerusalem and of the temple. And so, wow, I mean... It's happening. Now that, that they just made a half shekel, uh, the Sanhedrin has, uh, has approved it, a half shekel 
uh, with the face of Trump and Cyrus on it. And here's what's so important about that. Under the, the Jewish tradition, when the temple was there 2,000 years ago, when you went to the temple to pray, you were to give a half shekel. Everyone was to show up, every man, with a half shekel and then go pray. The, there is no half shekel in the currency of Israel. For the Sanhedrins to bring back a silver half shekel, and it says right on it, temple coin, putting Trump and Cyrus's face on the coin, you couldn't get more prophetic right out of the pages of the Bible, 70th year, 50 year of Jerusalem, it's all coming together. This is one of the most unbelievable. And if Hillary wins, none of this is going to happen. All right? None of this is going to happen. So you have a prophetic situation developing. The hand of God is in completely in control of this situation. Well, I, I definitely agree, Pastor, that the 70 years of Israel being a nation again is definitely significant. You know, the, the timing of the, the Jubilee. But see, where I, I have a problem with is how much is, um, you know, what, what did Trump really do? He, he, uh, turned the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, something that many presidents said that they would do or recognized was Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And now Trump has moved the embassy there. Uh, but how much of this f- for Israel is... No, no, he hasn't moved it physically. Well, there, not yet, but, but he, he yeah. issued a statement with intent to do so. But how much of this, you know, we see streets being named after him. And as you just pointed out, I don't know the significance of, what would you say, that is the Sanhedrin bringing back the half shekel with Trump on it? How much yes. of that is a self-fulfilling prophecy versus actual tribute to Trump? I, I, I don't know if that made sense. It is. You've got a good point. It's a little bit of both. The half shekel is required uh, that every male that goes to the temple must bring a half shekel. So that is actually being brought back. Okay, so the putting of Trump on the shekel is an acknowledgement of what he did and what he's doing when he stands with Israel in many different areas. So, again, they're giving him tribute, and they're comparing him to the King Cyrus of the Bible, which many evangelicals have already been saying. So they've actually camped on to that prophetic revelation. Uh, they're naming the train station, the main train hub that they're going to build right at the base of the Temple Mount, so that when you know, people are going to be coming from all over the world to the Temple Mount, whether it be Muslims to pray in the Dome of the Rock or in the Al-Asq Mosque, or whether it be Christians who just want to walk around on the Temple Mount, and, go, and, and or whether it be Jews that want to go up there and pray in the Third Temple they're building a train system, the train, the main train station right there at the Temple Mount. They just announced it three weeks ago. It's going to be called the Donald J. Trump train station. So again, they're saying thank you, thank you for standing with us and acknowledging, uh, our heritage, acknowledging that we're a nation that wants this to be our capital. And when America stands with Israel, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't go well with a lot of the Arabic nations, but I, there's not been that much of a cry. I mean, Turkey's really put big, the biggest fuss of anybody. There's no intifada from it. Uh, the, the Saudi Arabians are like, okay, whatever. You know, the Egyptians are on board. Jordan says, okay. There, there still haven't been an agreement signed when it comes to building the temple. But certainly the pieces and parts are coming into position and uh, is, is in the eyes of the, I can tell you, I was there on the 50th anniversary. 
I was there on Jerusalem Day last year, the 50th anniversary, liberation. The city of Jerusalem was filled with thousands, I'm talking thousands of people dancing in the streets, wrapping themselves in either American flags or Israeli flags. There were huge billboards that says Trump will make Israel great again. Uh, I mean, seriously, it was unbelievable, a euphoric uh, celebration like... I don't know. I've, I've never seen anything like that. And I've been, you know, I've never seen anything like that. So I guess if it was, if I was around World War II on, you know, um, on VJ, you know, on the victory day when everybody were in the streets, but I mean, it was that kind of atmosphere. So I don't, you know, Donald Trump's not the savior and, uh, you know, he's not Jesus Christ. He's not the Messiah. But at this moment, I think what he's done is he's done the King Cyrus move, and he has set in motion the biblical uh, ramifications that you're probably going to see now. Well, I know you're going to see them, but how that takes place, no one's exactly sure how the timeline works. I mean, things are moving quick right now, but things can always slow down also. Well, either way, it is fascinating to see what is going on with this administration and the effects that it seems to have worldwide. And, you know, we see what's happening with Europe as they have become part of, you know, the, the EU and uh, pro-immigration, no borders, you know, Im- implementing hate speech laws on comment sections on the Internet. It's getting, you know, crazy. And now we see some pushback in, in Germany and other places where the uh, sexual assaults and the welfare program for even returning Syrian fighters are um, you know being promoted I saw a story on a local German news channel just yesterday or today <coughs> excuse me where a man a Syrian uh, refugee with two wives and two kids with each wife gets a free house and 8,000 euros a month he doesn't work this is all welfare and now he wants two more wives and up to 20 kids and wants the state to pay for it. And they're promoting this on the news as though this is some, you know, community outreach great thing that they're doing. But what it's bankrupting nations. And we're seeing these policies through the globalist politicians bleed out over here. But with somebody like Trump, it puts a, you know, a stick in the, in the spokes of this machine that was, you know, bulldozing over us. And we are able to get some, uh, as many have called it, a reprieve from the New World Order agenda. So whether, it, it, I believe Trump, if he runs in four years, if, if we continue at this pace, he'll win again. But as we talked about with the celebrities and whatnot, after that, we get into some, you know, what, what's going to happen? Everything is up for grabs. So we need to solidify as best as we can now, um, you know, what we want moving forward and the best way to do that, taking back the media, taking back the world of politics, and uh, taking back the world of common sense. But there's also, uh, Pastor, an element here that I want to talk about, which is is happening in the churches. And we have seen just one story I want to um, showcase here. There was a, a church in New Jersey, in Hoboken, New Jersey, where a pastor had gender reassignment surgery, came back as a woman transgender, and was celebrated by their par- by their congregation at the church. We see the churches split in half, half going, uh, remaining with, with the Bible and the fundamental teachings in the Bible, and the other half moving towards this social justice mindset where 
you know, homosexual marriage is celebrated, transgenderism is is good, you know, we're going to change scripture, we're going to change, what, how can the church deal with this when we're seeing mainline, you know, denominations participating in these sinful, be- and celebrating these sinful behaviors as though it's some, uh, you know, civil rights movement? How can we, uh, how's this going to play out? <laughs> well, powerful question and a great question. You know, when I, I've uh, preached a message actually coming up uh, in Dallas uh, called Reverse the Curse. And uh, um, people think, look, the Bible says, if my people are called by my name and humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, I would hear from heaven, forgive the sin and heal the land. That theme happened during the run-up to the election. I think the American Christians and all the Americans realized our country was going down if we didn't do something. We we fell on our face. We cried out to God. He heard our cry. But now the repentance is required. And there's three curses that's on this nation. And they were all allowed by the church. That is, taking prayer and the Bible out of school, we sat there, and I say the American church sat on their hands in the 70s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s, and did nothing, did not defend the word, did not defend the culture, just said, well, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. We can't help it. And so there goes prayer, there goes the word of God right out of the schools. There, When you re- take the word of God out, it has to be replaced with something. And that something is rebellion, violence, transgenderism, sex, sexual uh, perversion, uh, everything you can imagine. So there was, there's the first curse. We let a Supreme Court do it. It was not passed by our legislators. It was not signed by a presidential decree. It was a corrupt Supreme Court that brought the first curse on America. The second curse was abortion, 1973. Again, the church sat idly by and allowed a, cor- a corrupt Supreme Court force this curse upon America. And 60 million abortions later, we are still under this curse. The blood is flowing from one sea to the other. And then the third curse is the redefinition uh, def- of marriage or gay marriage, whatever you want to call it. I mean, and going along with that is the transgender uh, agenda, the mutilation and the, and the uh, disregard for the human, the, uh, the human, uh, your sexual orientation. You're, I mean, you were born a man or a woman, but to create some kind of uh, blur that's a, an eight-year-old child and just say, don't do, you know, turning little Tommy into Tammy. And, and running around here with all these different, uh, sexual sins. And just be quite honest with you, redefining marriage completely in rebellion against the Bible, that's curse number three. And so these three curses have to be reversed for America to truly, uh, and not just, and the church cannot sit there and it's what's bad enough is sit there and do nothing. But when you said churches are actually endorsing it, uh, ordaining, uh, homosexuals, uh, uh, em- embracing, uh, abortion, uh, agreeing with the perversion and the abominations of the Bible. This is the greater sin of all. And, and God, you know, God will not tolerate that. And he will, 
deal with that. And it's going to bring a great division in the church, okay? What we're going to see is the uh, the sheep from the goats. We're going to see the remnant that's going to stay true to God's word, and then you're going to see the rest of them that's going to go on the long and winding road. It leads to destruction, and this is, uh, unfortunately, it's in process right now. Well, Pastor, what do you say to people who are congregants of churches like that, or even um, people who are stuck believing that the that they're doing the right things? I mean, how do you... We, we see this mindset seems to trump truth and, and reality and common sense. How do you argue the point with these people, or do you argue with the point? Do you engage? What can be done to try to move these people in the right direction? You know, I had a conversation I can't uh, with a with a man who's a deacon of a church. I won't say the name of the denomination, but uh, he was a deacon there, uh, a trustee, thirty uh, some years, uh, and his church embraced gay marriage, and uh, and then changed the sign, put the rainbow colors in the sign out front and started uh performing gay marriages in the church and he said look I can he was so distraught he was so upset he you know here he's been sitting there in a pew here he is been a part of this thing for so long and now he's to the, what do you do how did this happen where what is going on and he you know he struggled for a while but finally the last time I saw him he said I couldn't take it more I had to leave and he said now I'm just I'm wondering which is sad. This is the problem. Um, uh, but he did the right thing. He he just he had to get out of there. There's no way could he embrace this when he knows exactly what the scriptures say. You know, there's just no way. Yeah. Well, Pastor, we got about ten, eleven minutes left. Have we? Uh, what what have we not covered that we need to get into tonight? You know, I want to say uh, the Melania Trump thing. Um, the Lamestream, mainstream, fake news media tried to say that that was fake news or that there was no, I think they said the White House, uh, Melania Trump secret, uh, spokeswoman said there was no exorcism in the White House. Um, there may not have been a quote exorcism in the White House, but, but they didn't say that they didn't remove all the idols, all the relics, all the witchcraft, all the voodoo, all of the things that were in there. They're not going to tell you those weren't removed because believe me, they were. And the reason I didn't reveal my source is because I gave my word as a pastor to the individual who shared with me, who knows for sure that they took all of these relics and uh, tangible objects out of the White House because they were involved. They know. Uh, I gave him a word. I gave my word. I'll never reveal the source. So... Instead, what you have here is, again, we're back to the New York Times, the Washington Post, and some of the others who are saying, all right, Pastor Begley won't reveal the source because you know it's not true. It is true. And here's the deal. When you remove the idols that are used, chargeable objects that Russ Dizdar would tell you, Dr. Lester Summer I'll talk about all the time, If you, when you remove these from your house or from your dwelling place, the demons go with it. When you leave, it's an exorcism. I'll call it what you want to. I mean, they didn't have head spinning. They probably would have if they'd have got there when Valerie Jarrett and some of those guys were still there. But, uh, 
I'm just okay. I'm just joking around here, right? But uh, there would have been some manifestations that they don't. Oh my word! Pastor, if you can just back up just for uh, a few seconds here, for those people who don't know what you're talking about, because this wasn't really widely reported as much as many people think it was. Right. What are you talking about? Uh, Exorcism at the White House. uh, What are you referring to? Well, Infowars covered it, and uh, and several other um, right-wing conservative groups. Uh, but an individual that I cannot reveal. I mean, you know, you don't reveal your sources when there's right. when you get when your word. You're not going to do it. So if they have to crucify me, so basically, I've known it for over a year that during the transition before the president was to move into the White House. Melania, uh, the first lady said, look, I don't want to live in that house with all of those relics, idols, and Haitian stuff that the Clintons had there, uh, stuff that the Obamas had there. Uh, you know, just pile up. You know, sometimes, uh, certain things are left behind with presidents before. She said, look, I just don't want to be there with all of that stuff. I, I need that. I need it removed. I'm not going to live there. I can't live there like that. And you know, and that's not a, a new thing for Catholics to want a house blessed or even Protestants. I know a lot of Protestants that want and even ask me, can they anoint their house or can a preacher come and anoint their home before they move in? They want it, they want it to be spiritually cleansed or free, you know. But she certainly real recognized that those idols and those relics that were demonically charged and, and she didn't want to be in the same building with them. So they removed them all but one cross on one wall. And I've known this for over a year. And I was on the Sheila Zelensky show and, and just shared it. I, you know, I just said, you know, they, they, they moved it all out. I didn't think no big deal about it because it's been over a year now. And the uh, next thing I know, that was, you know, uh, all over, uh, a lot of the media outlets. Oh, yeah. yep. In the New York Times and the Washington Post, they actually went, they say they did. They said they went to Melania's spokesperson. Who said, no, there was no exorcism. But she didn't say, no, they didn't remove the idols because they removed the idols. And when you remove the idols, you've just performed an exorcism from that building. But they're not going to share that. And the Trumps aren't going to run around saying they did it because, you know, again, do you, you want to get into that debate? So, you know, um, you know, I'll stand. I'll, look, I'm going to tell the truth and I'm not going to reveal the source. I won't do that. Very interesting. Enough said about that. I mean, what else can you say? And I think that's that's very important for people to understand the the spiritual nature. You had mentioned it at the beginning. I mean, we're we're involved in a spiritual battle, and that's that's part and parcel to it. And, of course, we know the rot that was the Obama regime, Clinton, and and even to some extent the, uh, the Bush uh, administration as well, you know. So all of this is is man the the globalist the agenda, and, and you know, uh, Pastor too, uh, Pedogate, Pizzagate. People still don't believe that's true. They don't believe. It. Uh, we, I mean, what can you say about that? It's just it's. Uh, they don't believe. And I'm getting ready to have a show here tonight, uh, Doug and Joe, where I'm having a guy by the name of Ryan Finley on with me. He was one of the four teenagers, college students, that were in San Pedro Island. In 1989, when their, one of their friends was abducted right off the street in broad daylight, a kid by the name of Mark Kilroy, and he was abducted by Satanists that took him into Mexico and tormented him on an altar, a 
satanic sacrificed him, ate his brains, and they did it on a place they called Devil's Ranch. And when they finally found his body, they found 14 bodies that had all been mutilated under satanic ritual. Uh, and this was done by Mexican cartel, drug cartels that give them power to do the things they do. Now, uh, kids are being abducted for pet- by pedophiles, the sex trade, the satanic worship, sacrificing. This goes on. And for the, for the media to sit there and, and, and act like it doesn't exist, but run around after a Russian collusion confusion document, a fake dossier, but not really report what's going on. This is why people watch Hagman Hagman. Because they know you guys will do this. And I, you guys did. You guys are the leaders of this, calling out the Pizzagate thing. And now I even saw it on, uh, Tucker Carlson. Two nights ago, had a guy on her, they talking about Pizzagate. It's like, you know, the media don't believe it. Tucker just shrugged his shoulders and goes, they don't believe it, but it's real. And, and, and so you're hitting the nail on the head. And when it came to the, just this whole situation I just went through with the, uh, you know, this whole deal with the moving of the idols out of it. Look, in the book Serpent and the Rainbow that's written by a witch doctor who just died, he tells why the Clintons came on their honeymoon to Haiti. And they met up with him and other witch doctors. On their honeymoon, they went through voodooism uh, ceremonies. Uh, Bill Clinton said it inspired him so much that he ran. He went ahead and ran a second time for the governorship. They kept going back and forth to Haiti because of the power they were getting. Uh, all right, and this was in the in spiritual. They said guidance from these witch doctors. Then Hillary started hanging out with the Wiccans in California. This is all in the book Serpent and the Rainbow. And Bill Clinton even admits he did all this in his own book, My Life. And Hillary even jokes around and talks about it in her book. So for the media to say Pastor Begley doesn't know what he's talking about, nobody did an exorcism at the White House. No, maybe they didn't bring in, you know, uh, Anthony Hopkins and, uh, and they weren't head spinning, but there was definitely idols leaving and the demons left with them. And that is an exorcism. And so... You know, well, beg me, tell us your source. I mean, the media's called my house. They said, tell us the source. <laughs> then we retract. It's like, I'm never going to tell you the source. Because, first of all, as a pastor, we never breach our confidence. Okay? So, again, they're not going to believe you on Pizzagate. They don't want to believe it. They don't want to report it because it, you know how ugly it would get, Joe and Doug? It would go to the, t- to the highest levels of government if we were to expose the people involved in the Pizzagate uh, uh, scandal, and it's more than a scandal. It's it's a atrocity. That's right. Wickedness. Yes, it's spiritual wickedness. Yes. Pastor, you're going to be on now. You got me. <laughs> Sorry about that. No. Sorry. Uh, you're going to be on Sorry. the Irvin Baxter show. Yes. Uh-huh. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I am. I actually spoke with Irvin Baxter. I was kind of shocked, actually. Um, uh, but a, a gentleman, his uh, representatives came to see us at our little church in Knox, Indiana, and uh, asked me if I would go on their show. I said, yes. Irvin called me, Pastor Irvin Baxter, a well-known, uh, well-known Bible prophecy uh, ministry worldwide, and I'm going to be on uh, late March. March 22nd, I believe, is the is the day I'm going to be on there down in his studios in Dallas, Texas. Uh, so it's a great honor. Yeah, and uh, Pastor Langford is going to be on with That's Irvin Baxter. That's March 3rd. I yeah. believe so. It, it's a lot of great people. A lot, you're doing a lot of great uh, things. You've got your okay. So you're going to be on 
in this next hour, right? Doing a show in, the, in this next hour, Pastor? Yeah. yeah, I'm getting ready to go live right after I get off here with you, and I'm bringing this man on who's going to tell what happened to satanic cults and what happened to his friend. Now, there's already been a movie made about this story. It's called Border Borderland. Uh, it came out 11 years ago. The guy that played Rudy was, played the star role in that movie 11 years ago. Oprah Winfrey's already covered this on her shows back in the late 80s. Geraldo Rivera. Matter of fact, this guy's going to be on Fox News, I think, next week with Geraldo Rivera again. They're bringing the whole story back because of the border. The, right now, because of President Trump and the wall and the border wars, they're bringing it back, this story. And uh, it's a unbelievable story. But it really speaks to what you and Doug, Doug, you and Joe, what you guys have been doing, and John, uh, in exposing this uh, Pizzagate and the child abductions and these satanic rituals abuse. This is what Russ Dizdar talks about. This is in the next hour. Come to my channel, guys, and uh, it is a great interview. Yeah, we're going to be listening to that in the studio after our show, of course. So where do people go? Just, just to be clear. Just go if you look. You just go to my website or just go to my YouTube channel. It'll be live right there. You know, just it'll be there. Okay, all right. We're sure gonna we're sure gonna be uh, following that after uh, our broadcast tonight. We've we in fact you've got to get going. You've only got about uh, five six minutes left. So uh, we'll let you we'll cut you loose so you can go and prepare for that. Thank you so much for your gracious gift of time, Pastor Begley. We will see you in Canton here in uh, two months. April, yeah, April 20th. Look forward to seeing you guys. I love being with you guys. You guys are great. Brother, thanks for, thanks for stopping in. Thanks for your gift of time. We really appreciate it. And, uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. All right. God bless. All right. Folks, that was Pastor Paul Begley. And what a fantastic show. Uh, what a, what a, what a great man Pastor Paul Begley is. Of course, the links to his channel. Hey, you know what? If, if you, if you don't have his links already bookmarked, Wow, you're missing out, but they'll be on our channel. Um, a fantastic program tonight with James Corbett and, of course, Dr. Jerome Corsi and Joe Knight at the beginning. So it was really a great program. I want to thank each and every one of you for, for tuning in. Thank you. Please let other people know about this broadcast. BookmarkHagmanReport.com. Follow Hagman Report on social media. And, and also, look, follow, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, even though even though we're not broadcasting live on YouTube at this moment, subscribe to it so you will be notified of the updates. We we upload the full show and then segments, the guest segments on YouTube. So please do that and tune into our respective shows as well, in addition to our flagship show, my show at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Blog Talk Radio Network, as well as um, Global Star Radio Network and Joe and John at uh, 2 for two, 2 o'clock Eastern Time. And then, of course, join us back here tomorrow night at 7 from 7 to 10 p.m. You know, the other night I was going through the video and I looked at it. The other night I said 7 to 9. I don't know what I was thinking of, but 7 to 10. I don't know what you're so, thinking of either. Yeah. Did you see this crazy news story out of California? There was a <laughs> civil war or revolutionary war reenactment canceled due to gun laws in a local city. Yeah. The war was lost before it could ever begin, yeah. according to local historians who were hoping to fire up a mock battle, this is in California, the Elk Grove Historical Society planned a revolutionary war reenactment more than a year. Sure that's not satire? I thought no, that was this satire, is from CBS okay. Sacramento. Yeah, I, the group I, had printed up flyers and 
about the mock battle, hoping to draw in over 3,000 people for the two-day event at a regional park. But guess what? The city said no, because the gun laws in the town do not allow for black uh, firing black powder muskets. Apparently, so this just ends. Civil wars been canceled because of gun laws. Reenactments on these instances because you have city laws which say you cannot maintain, use, or possess a firearm or discharge any firearm, real or blanks, in the city limits, and they are taking it very seriously, and they are banning the uh, historical society from their planned Revolutionary War reenactment. Absolutely crazy. That'll do it for us tonight. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow.